It's Friday, November 26, 2021, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. The rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, everything you could possibly need to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear for all you law enforcement personnel. Want something custom? They can hook you up. Sure can. Use the code STEAK for 5% off your order. Don't get ready. Stay ready. We are pleased to announce that after over a year of making jokes about it, the Steak for Breakfast podcast is finally partnered with Mike Lindell and MyPillows. What? Yeah, it's happened. So if you like saving the country and sleeping well, find everything at MyPillow.com. Use promo code STEAK for up to 66% off MyPillow products. You can also go to www.mypillow.com forward slash steak or use a number 1-800-658-8045. Talk to one of the MyPillow representatives about the best night's sleep you'll ever have. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear specializing in headphones can be found at Odyssey and odyssey.com. Whether you're gaming, podcasting, two-stepping, or in-studio recording, Odyssey's got everything you need to bless those ears with some angeletic sound. Thank you. They're on odyssey.com, they're on Facebook, and they're on Instagram. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms. All your gun needs, ammo needs, case needs, cleaning set needs, Mike's got them. Newly redesigned website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. You can reach them via the telephone at 619-870-6992. Or if you got a personal question for them, you can hit them up on Facebook Messenger. Mediocre Medic. All of our first responders are working hard during this holiday season right now. Um, accidents are always up. Suicide's always something you got to worry about. Our boys in blue, our EMTs, our firemen, our first responders, they love Mediocre Medic and MediocreMedic.com. Off-duty gear like sweatshirts, t-shirts, fanny packs, and flip-flops for your bags and for your wagons, vinyl patches, stickers, and more. Find them on Instagram and at MediocreMedic.com. And last but certainly not least, the top tier of tactical gear, Dumpbox. Mark Joe Friday, owner, operator, CEO of Dumpbox.us. If you don't know about the Zero Fuck Stuck, you better ask Mark. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook, and as I already mentioned, dumpbox.us. Friends, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, our website, Telegram, and more. 
And on that note, welcome. Black Friday edition. Ooh. Episode 85, Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan, joined today by Noah. Yo. Antoinette's here. Hello, hello. Good morning to you. We are going to have three great guests today. Um, but first, we're going to get into the news. First of all, how was your guys' Thanksgiving? I have heartburn. Nice. I also have heartburn. Antoinette, heartburn? No heartburn. I'm fucking tired, though. That's for sure. There you go. That makes three of us. I'm also tired. Cobbler yeah. mom over Thanksgiving. Sounds terrible. Cobbler? <laughs> Cobbler was definitely something that was in effect last night. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I'm pretty safe to say for all the overinflated Pepe memes, the 17 chins, pun intended, the rippling uh, bellies over the belts, that was all of us yesterday for sure. Oof. Um, uh-huh. To say we feasted to save the least uh, is an understatement. I also saw an extra fiery meme today. It was a uh, it was a picture of a beluga whale, and they were in one of those like harnesses that they take out with a crane, <laughs> and it reads, "Me being craned away from the Thanksgiving table after smashing my fourth plate of mashy taters." Oof. Yeah, uh, probably my homemade Italian stuffing, in my case, but that was delicious. Also accurate. Well, we do have some news to get to. It kind of a slow news cycle during the holidays, but we were able to put a hell of a show together for you. Um, Donald Trump on Thanksgiving Eve appeared on Sean Hannity. It was his third big time interview in less than a week. Uh, he did Mike Lindell on FrankSpeech.com a week ago. Uh, that Sunday of last week, he did Mark Levin, and uh, on Wednesday jumped on Hannity, just in case the boomer sweats weren't sweaty enough. So sweaty extremely sweaty um so yeah it's it's one of those things where he's kind of getting his name out there and we're starting to get a better understanding of why certain things um that donald trump's talking about over and over again in these interviews are are kind of moved to the forefront of the issues that are going on in the united states you know he talked about the withdrawal from afghanistan um cash patel last week Gave us his personal opinion and said Mark Milley will be fired by the spring. And he's going to be the one that's being being held personally responsible for that disaster. One can only hope. True story. Uh, you know, we also had uh, him talk about the Durham investigation, which is heating up. Cash also said by the spring we should see, I, I believe he called it, what did he say he was doing? Like he was building a reverse criminal enterprise and, and all roads do lead to McCabe and, and most likely higher. Um, you know, we teased Brennan and Comey and Clapper. Uh, we already know there's connections directly to Hillary Clinton. And then hopefully Joe Biden and Barack Obama are going to get roped into that as well. well. Hillary Clinton, she's a real honest, straight shooter. Hmm. Pillar, well, pillar of the community. I think one of the other things, um, and, you know, we really need to focus on is the fear porn that the legacy media is kind of, you know, putting out there on a regular basis. Right now, uh, they've received so much press from skimp at Thanksgiving and during the holidays or like serve hors d'oeuvres in your garage while everybody waits for the results of their rapid tests and stuff like that. Eat the rapid test. That they have to go back to Old Faithful and that is, you think you might see a rapid test on somebody's charcuterie board? <laughs> <laughs> They're like the little toothpicks. Is that how you say that? I don't even know. You like eat the piece of cheese and then swab the inside <laughs> of your cheek? <laughs> that would be terrible. The swab's made out of cheese. But, but Getting back to seriousness, the overall um, narrative of the fake investigations that go- goes on. You know, 
Peter Navarro, Amanda Milius, uh, Matt Brainerd's talk about it. Cash talked about it. Obviously, they're all roped into fake investigations and stuff like that. Um, and, and how that kind of takes off focus on, on some of the real news that should be reported. So I think in the mainstream media right now, the big three we have is fake investigations, COVID, and probably like skimping on your holidays. Well, it doesn't matter if the investigation is fake in the end because all they have to do is just, this is the investigation. It's about this and this. And they're going to say that every single night until the general public is telling all their friends like it's true. That was a decent Walter Cronkite there. You like that? Yeah. You know, you could even do, if you shook your cheeks while you were saying that, you could probably be a little Dick Nixon. Oh, yeah. There you go. Um, Let's hear Donald Trump kind of weigh in on how these fake investigations uh, take the focus away from any greatness that the United States had during his administration. I was thinking just on the way over for the interview, our country focuses on so many of these fake investigations. And we don't focus on greatness any longer. They, everything is an investigation. Uh, the, the, you look at what's going on now where they have an unselect committee. It's an unselect. And the way they're treating people. And yet Antifa, who are bad. BLM, you look at all of the mm. horror shows and the death and destruction they cause. And they don't go after them. But they go after People that in many cases, and not in all cases, but in many, many cases, are patriots. And you had some bad people. And if you look at what happened at the Capitol, you had some bad people that were not patriots at all. And they came from other places, including Antifa mm-hmm. and including others. And they led a lot of people astray. They don't want to cover that. They don't want to cover well, the minute, election I have a results. So uh, hopefully by others, he means the FBI when he's talking directly about January 6th, which he is under subpoena before. And, and aside from calling it a wish hunt, a fake investigation, I don't really think he could weigh in on it. Too many more specifics in related to yeah. that. So I think we can read between the other lines. You know what he didn't read in between was the fact that he used the most stately room he probably has at Mar-a-Lago. There's a beautiful fireplace. The whole thing is, is, you know, nice, probably cedar and mahogany trim everything. He's got all the flags in the background and the ceilings probably 300 feet high. So it, it, it makes for really bad acoustics when you're trying to do an interview on television. Which is not on our end; it's on Trump's end. So it's probably hard to air condition that room too. I see. But he needs to talk to Dan about uh, Trump's placement. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you could always tag him on social media, as like everybody else seems to do all the time. <laughs> um, he did also talk about some of the things that's going on with, uh, you know, the border, which is still, even though there's not a twenty thousand person blob of people at Del Rio, Texas right now is something that's definitely affecting the United States in every way, shape or form um, every day with the amount of people that are coming in. We did set a new all time high last month. So keeping up on track with that, getting over 2 million by the end of the fiscal year and uh, you know, the vetting process that goes around or doesn't and has a lot of people like you know, border patrol and uh, ice, their hands tied. So let's kind of hear how we talked about some of the specifics in directly regards to that. And they're releasing prisoners from their jails. They're emptying their jails. We're like a dumping ground. They're entering, (laughs) they're, they're releasing people from their jails into the United States of America. We're going to be paying a price for years to come. And they're just coming in no vetting, no anything. You talk about masks and you talk about vaccines. 
If you don't want to wear a mask and if you don't want vaccines, just walk in through the southern border. And they're pouring in by the millions, despite a great border patrol that's not and ICE that's not allowed to do their jobs. I don't think our country has ever been at a low point and we were at the highest point and now we're at the lowest. We had the greatest economy in the world ever in the history of the world. And now you look at what's going on. We had 160 million jobs, people working. And now you take a look at the numbers. The whole thing is very sad. And we really did it twice. We did it before COVID. And then we had to readjust for the China virus that came in a gift from China all over the world. It, it just what it did to the world. But then I did it a second time. So we've done a job, rebuilt our military, largest tax cut in history, largest regulation cut in history. It's been an amazing thing. The creation of, think of this, the creation of Space Force. First time in 75 mm. years, we created a brand new, beautiful branch of the military. The Air Force was the last one. This is the new one. This is going to be an important one, too. Space Force. So we did a lot, like John. That. And uh, I think people appreciate it. I think they appreciate it now much more than they did on maybe November 3rd. Oh, sounds like he's talking a little bit about buyer's remorse, Antoinette. We've we've heard you weigh in on that one before. What do you think? About what? Buyer's remorse. Being remorseful. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I honestly think that. I mean, he told us that they were going to steal the election. He knew. And I, I, the conspiracy person in me believes. That Would you say are. that you trumpeted that narrative? <laughs> there you go. How much tinfoil did you use that day? Alex Jones levels. <laughs> so <laughs> you mentioned during that uh, previous thing, the blob. Yes. Which, you know, me being the uh, executor of all sorts of useless information immediately made me think of the movie from the 50s, The Blob. Okay. That movie freaks me out still to this day. I'll never, like, I have, like, crazy childhood memories. Yeah, yeah it's a freaky movie, but... The synopsis of the movie, you know, if you drop a couple of words here and there, the film concerns a growing, corrosive, alien, amoeboidal entity that crashes to Earth from outer space, okay, maybe not outer space, inside a meteorite, and envelops everything in its path in the small communities of Phoenixville and Downington, Pennsylvania, Mm. growing larger, redder, and more aggressive, eventually becoming larger than a building. Well, there you go. So change outer space with the third world <laughs> and instead of growing redder it's gl- growing bluer yeah pretty damn accurate and taking over uh enveloping everything in its path That's in the not, small communities sounds about right yeah just yeah. saying yeah you know what else trump was talking about how weak we're looking on a national Oof. stage right now so weak um it's not just the borders and the the hurt that's on our law enforcement down there right now and it's not just these fake in investigations, but, you know, not, and it's not just the Afghanistan retreat. It's, it's a multitude of things that are letting a lot of our adversaries or global competitors worldwide who Trump carried a very big stick around. And at the end of the day, you could say whatever you want about him. They respected him, period. Mm-hmm. He called Kim Jong-un fat to his face, and then they sat down and ate a lunch. <laughs> I mean, he literally did. He said, look at how nice and handsome and not fat we all are. And the camera just pans to Kim Jong-un, and he's sitting there with his mouth open like, you know, my English might not be that great, but did he just I, I think I just caught that. And he's looking definitely a lot more 
handsomer and thinner now, both Trump and Kim Jun. But let's hear kind of what uh, he he lost a lot of weight. Yeah, he same, did. Same with Pompeo. What the fuck is going on there? <laughs> I, I don't know. We're gonna have to ask Amanda Milius when she comes back on in a few weeks because she had some really colorful things to say about him and his uh, little State Department. I don't really action. see Trump jogging much. Mm. Golfing? Yes. You should. It should be mandated that you take like cognitive tests or something. But you can't have the head of China, the head of Russia, the head of these powerful nations being at the top of their game. Look at what's happening. Look how weak we look. Look how we look. You don't think that Russia, China, Kim Jong-un of North Korea and all these other people that hate us, you don't think that they were watching and laughing all the way to the bank? Look at, I mean, with what happened in Afghanistan, when they watched that Horrible, stupid withdrawal. I can't believe that the military would have allowed themselves to be put in a position like that where they leave. And I can just see Abdul. He was the head of the Taliban who I dealt with. And he understood we weren't playing games. Again, no soldier shot. Nobody knows that. Nobody wants to talk about that 18 months. But I could just see him. Abdul, they come back. Abdul, Abdul, the American soldiers have left. No way. Are you an idiot? Are you an idiot? There's no way. No, no, Abdul. I mean it. They've left. He'll say, well, let me check it out. An hour later, he said, they left. I I knew that that whole soundbite was going to be interlaced with Abdul's, but I didn't want to mention it beforehand because I knew both you and Antoinette would not be able to contain yourselves. I wish I had the Abdul button still. It's such a funny talking point. The fact of the matter is, though, he's right um, and how weak our... You know, well, talking about people laughing to the bank, like the Afghanistan thing, they're literally laughing to the bank with pallets of cash. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And and driving them in our Humvees. Cash did (laughs) confirm pallets of cash are on the way last week, right? I mean, he said that's next. It's got to be. Yeah. I think in in our last clip of Trump from this interview, and, and the interview was longer, but I try to pull stuff that we don't necessarily cover every single show. There was one interesting point that I saw towards the end, and it was, you know, if the boomer sweats weren't already dripping at this point, Sean Hannity went and asked him maybe if there was anything different he could have done during the course of his four years and occupying the Oval Office, if what would it be? And it was kind of an interesting question he posed. It's kind of, you know, it's in, and Trump's response was equally as interesting. Let's listen to it. Is there any, what is one major thing that you would do differently? So, look, there are many things that I would complete. For instance, the wall was almost completed. Could have been done in three to four weeks, but they decided not to do it, and they should do it. And, you know, we had the strongest border in history. We have now the weakest border in history. There are many things, many deals I would have done. We're ready to do a great trade deal with Europe because they've been ripping us off almost as badly as China. We had another deal with China coming along that would have been phenomenal that China wasn't happy with. I would have done all of that. Uh, The press, I had to devote a lot of time to fake investigations. They were fake. And, you know, it's interesting. uh, The Durham report has, you know, it's come out. I wish it could have been a little earlier, but it's unbelievably complete. And I would imagine this is just the beginning of the foundations. But I want to ask you about that specifically. No, I mean... No, but, but the but we know the steel dossiers debunked. The Washington Post had to retract their stories. Where's the rest of the media? Yeah. 
They actually have retracted it, and almost all of them are starting to now retract it, and they don't know how to do it because they're very embarrassed. And frankly, they should give back their Pulitzer Prizes. They won Pulitzer Prizes for their coverage of Russia. But you and Solomon and other people were right. You should get the prizes, okay? You were- <laughs> kind of interesting. Uh, you know, we, we, we know that Donald Trump still gets intelligence reports. Oh, yeah. And he's still in the know, probably more than anyone will ever be able to speculate. But they, they almost they almost argued the point there that when when Trump said the Durham report was complete, you know, Sean Hannity kind of just he literally cut him off. And he's like, well, we're just at the beginning. We're just starting to learn that some of these things. And he's like, oh, no, it's the, the report's complete. And now they're you know, the media is retracting. And I'm just like. Hey, they're arguing over something that, like, literally, we know that we're just in the early stages of it and. You know, Cash Patel uh, weighed in on last week and said that he sees this thing going on for uh, four or five or six more months before we get to, like, the the real big parts of it. But I just thought, you know, maybe a Friday and slip, maybe a little bit of a tell mm-hmm. uh, that he may be further along, you know, then we can all speculate and, you know, moving forward that we, we might be seeing some real juicy information soon. Oh, I agree. I think that, I mean, I, I think for the most part, everything Trump says is like calculated. So, um, and Sean was taken by surprise. He's like, what, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I did see over the weekend, Noah's favorite lefty pinko commie, Bill Maher, uh, <laughs> kind of weighed in on this whole Trump being back in the, in the, you know, media frequently doing these big interviews and stuff like that. And he's and, on our team today. Well, it's kind of like a down the middle or yeah. so let, uh, let's hear kind of how he not on the, just the interview, but just some of the narrative. Well, I'll take what I can get with this track. You record. know, he thought last time that all the Republicans would fall in line with what he wanted and do his bidding. And they didn't. Some had integrity. And what he's been doing since is replacing those people. There's a purge going on behind the scenes. So next time when he calls them up and says, I hope you can find me a few votes. They're going to say how many he's going to have his stooges in place. Mm. That was what you wrote me about. A lot of people did. I think it's going to happen. I think you guys, the Democrats, are going to lose big in 2022, which is going to make it worse. There's going to be more state legislatures that can do that kind of monkeying behind the scenes to put the people in place who will do Trump's bidding. I think Trump is going to declare for office. I think he's going to get the nomination. I think the rallies are going to start. People are going to be... It's going to get very violent out there. My question is, what are we doing about the next time? The election happens, say Trump loses. doesn't matter whether he, if he loses, he's going to say he won. We know that. There's no (laughs) doubt he's going to say I won. And this time, he's not going to go away so easily come January 20th, 2025. What are we doing about that when he is insisting that he is the president, whether he won or not, and there are people who are helping him with it. Well, I'm in complete agreement. He was talking to Pencil Neck there, and it was one of those things where, you know, it's not... He had to, like, stop himself. I I think he's been probably told he's not allowed to talk about certain things. Yeah, and we do have another hot take on him on on how the woke left is absolutely destroying... um, you know, the Democrats' chances of doing anything moving forward. No, that's true. And and we're going to start that. And, you know, as we kind of are finished with this portion of the show and move on to the, the next topic, which are something that we've all probably seen in the media lately, and that's how 
Democrat-run cities continue to crumble. Um, we've seen crime at ridiculous levels, rapes, robberies, murders. Murder rates are off the charts. By hundreds of percents in some of the major ones. And we're talking San Francisco, Los yeah, Angeles, Chicago, New York, um, Washington, D.C., and places like that. Yeah, and making Chicago worse? Like, woo, yeah, give, give that guy a trophy. Iraq. Yeah. I mean, that's where it's, I mean, you're getting to those levels. So, you know, a lot of this has to do, and it started with, the George Soros-funded election efforts that have put people that he sponsors in place to kind of destabilize cities, um, and that's judges, mayors, sheriffs, DAs, and all of these people who, who kind of have been in there doing this stuff um, has really allowed the crime to get out of control. Um, I think we saw a pinnacle of that last week. We touched on it briefly on our show when we when we saw the guy who was, I believe he was a convicted rapist, yep, pedophile, yep, attempted murderer mm. because he was in jail this time for punching his baby mama in the face at a gas station and then getting in his car and hitting her with it before speeding off. The same yeah. car, the same car that was used in the parade. Go ahead, Antoinette. Did you see how the media lightened his skin? Yes, they sure did. And, <laughs> and I saw some funny memes that turned him into like a completely white person with blonde dreads by the by the third <laughs> panel. I, I thought it was pretty funny. You know, uh, it's amazing that though? they still do that stuff. Yeah, but even Beyonce, and I, because it, like when I when I saw that, it, it um, I remembered that even Beyonce, who is obviously on the left and a part of you know their side. She c- called them out for lightening her skin for an ad as well. She was pissed. Yeah. And well, they do it. And it's like, okay, so the right is racist. Um, I don't think so. And now you now you've seen, I'm sure we've all seen it on the news lately. There are like these flash mobs of people running into Louis Vuitton and yep. oh, they're not dancing. Nordstrom's no, like <laughs> Literally yep. 45 seconds, like a group ran into Louis Vuitton. The store was open and full. They fucking took everything. I was like, holy shit. And no, nobody does anything at all. Like, it, like you see those, like, listen, I've been to Louis Vuitton. I've, you know, I've bought oh, things. Oh, you're fancy. Here. Oh, fancy I've never fancy. been there. They have literal security guards standing there, like armed guards in, in in Vegas for sure. I don't know about you know these other Democrat cities though. Did they have Louis Vuitton holsters? <laughs> well, yes. Yesterday, the the big one that happened, it was like twenty five or thirty people ran into the Nordstrom in Oakland uh, when they received um, kind of like a pushback from some of the loss prevention prevention people there. They bear sprayed them. Were they what? going like yesterday? Yeah, this was yesterday. Were they going oh, to go oh, get shit. off the rack suits for job interviews? Do you think? <laughs> Most likely not. No. Now you're starting to hear maybe some sensible shoes. The the people on the That's left who have called for bail and prison and racism reform. Finally, Wait, start- we're reforming racism now. We sure are. <laughs> like, it's very fluid and, and changes by the minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> l- listen to this panel of air quoting now Ugh. experts that was on Joe Doucheborough the other day, kind of talking about how this is finally getting out of control because it affects them. 
So, Joe, while some of these images, of course, are shocking to look at, they're absolutely not surprising to anyone who lives in San Francisco, given what's happened in the last few years there, which is the district attorney has signaled there we're just not going to prosecute property crimes. We're going to do it at a much lower rate than it's ever been done. In fact, it will be a misdemeanor if you steal less than $950. That was a proposition of referendum that passed in that city. All the signals, and it's not just San Francisco, but it's what we're talking about here, are that if you want to go in and steal stuff, we're going to sit back and let it happen, or at least we're not going to prosecute you after we catch you. Mm. Well, I mean, it, it's in San Francisco. And by the way, it, I'm not sure what the mayor of San Francisco is talking about. We must stop this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been happening for a couple of years now. We, Imagine that. A, a good friend of ours went into a uh, Louboutin store to get a pair of sweats. Uh, about 10 people stormed into the store, uh, pulled out guns, and just started piling uh, stuff into suitcases. Aww. It's been San Francisco is out of control. Portland is out of control. And and you look, in part, you're right, Willie. <laughs> I mean, laws have consequences. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I don't know who sent the memo out that, like, over the last couple of years was a dawning of the age of Aquarius. And we actually didn't have to worry about crime and punishment. But we do. We do. And when you don't, these are the consequences. Claire McCaskill, uh, if you... Oh, stop it. So, it- Wait, let's rewind that for a second. Went into Louis Vuitton to buy some sweats. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's something that they continue to mockingbird the narrative until it directly affects someone related to friends with or associated with them. Now it's too much. Yeah, and, and there there were some comms in that. And I definitely cut that clip as small as I could because you should have seen some of the all-stars on that panel, which included Al Sharpton. So I oh, just gave you guys, God. like, the bitchiest part of it <laughs> from Joe Scarborough, and I wanted you to hear that the narrative's kind of starting to change. Well, if anybody on our side went to go buy sweats, then sweats would be racist. Well, prisons are racist, and abolishing them is something that Joe Biden even campaigned on. Mr. 1994 Crime Bill himself said that there are too many people incarcerated. He called for jail reform and bail reform and all this other bullshit. Jen Psaki weighed in on Wednesday when she was pressed on how much Joe Biden loves prisons. A couple days ago, President Biden was in Michigan, and he was thanking Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib for the passport into her district. Now she is supporting legislation that would release all federal prisoners within 10 years. Would the president ever support that? Well, the president did enjoy visiting Michigan uh, and visiting uh, Congresswoman Tlaib's district. Uh, But let me be absolutely clear. uh, The president does not support abolishing prisons. Mm. Uh, He does not support defunding the police. Mm. He thinks measures like that will make us less safe, and he would not support legislation that includes it. What he does support is effective and accountable community policing and a fair justice system, and he supports investment in public health, education, the environment, housing, community-based programs. But he knows there are steps, and he believes there are steps that we know are going to reduce crime and make our neighborhoods safer, uh, but that is not one of them in his view. Complete and total unadulterated lie. And I literally said that and said, and I tagged her in a retweet of that statement the other day. I'm waiting for her to block me because every, like uh, she said something about COVID last week. And I said, this is literally 57 seconds of straight up non-factual, unadulterated, pathological lies, and I tag both of her accounts. Well, I mean, there's probably a lot of people sending those kind of messages, so she probably just can't, you know, 
you're not rising to the top of the cream there. Well, if she's got that guy in the skirts with the manicured nails monitoring uh, your social media, he'll eventually get to me. How do you type like that? I don't, well, he made fun of it, clickety clacking on the on the computer screen. So it's it's one of those. Like, things. How does he have eyes still? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> it, it it was definitely pretty pretty interesting that they mentioned because Axios sat down with Rashida Tlaib last week. Um, right before Bill Maher's show, and they talked about emptying out the federal prisons. Now, for the person who's championing abolishing federal prisons, abolishing cash bail, and all of that other stuff, listen to her answer zero questions when really pressed, and I'm surprised by this. Well, abolishing all this stuff, then it doesn't matter if it's a, a spending limit on how much you steal. True story. Because you just steal whatever right. you want then. Yeah, because you're, you're just going to be out before the clothes even cool off. <laughs> so... But here she is answering no questions in regard to that narrative. Breathe Act proposes emptying federal detention facilities within 10 years. Mm. Yes. To what extent have you wrestled with any potential downsides of releasing into society every single person who's currently in a federal prison? Yeah, I, again, I think that everyone's like, oh my God, we're going to just release everybody. That's not That's what, what the Yeah, says. but did you see how many people are mentally ill that are in prison right now? So from one institution to another. The proposal is so sweeping. It oh, does oh, it does release yeah. everyone. Think about it. Who are releasing? But there are like human traffickers. Oh, I know. Child sex. But oh, what I'm I saying is look at who's in prison now. I want to break free. And now they just start showing like a montage. The Al-Qaeda co-founder, Ted Kaczynski, Zachariah Maserati. Uh, one of the Sarnoff brothers who's still alive, Dylan Roof, of course, and thousands of violent Aryan Brotherhood members, et cetera, et cetera. Friendly. Yeah, so it's it's one of those things where they say this stuff just for a drive-by headline. Well, I mean, if they release, release enough actual racists, then maybe they can actually use the racism thing. And then this is, again, coming from the party who privatized Federal institutions. Federal institutions. <clears throat> so it's one of those things. You know, I listened to a really good documentary the other day. Um, it was about 50 minutes long, and it talked about how back in the early 90s, right before gangster rap really exploded, one of the members of Bone Thugs uh, was on, like, you know, some hip-hop show, and they were talking about like, current events and stuff like that, and they wanted to start talking about crime a little bit was, as directly related to these cities. I believe they were talking about Cleveland, where, where Bone Thugs is from. And, you know, he talked about being one of the people – who was at that meeting in Beverly Hill in the early 90s where they basically said, we are going to reinvent rap and we are going to put like this nasty anti-police, anti-establishment, like crime is okay, drugs are yep. okay, uh, being a pimp is okay. That was a meeting? It, it was a meeting. And he, he, he I know said, what you're talking, about. He talking said, about. I didn't know it was one of the Bone Thugs and Harmony dudes. So yeah. that was at it. That's crazy. Wow. And, and he yeah. talked how some people decided not to sign the non-disclosure and leave. And then mm -hmm. some people actually halfway through the meeting said, like, what the fuck are we doing? And they were escorted out yep. by security. And, and it was one of those things where, like, the government and Hollywood. Sounds like a school board meeting. They no, got they to, were warned, too, yeah, when they left. Yeah. They, they said, if you want to go and blow the whistle on it, it'll probably be one of the last whistles you'll ever blow. And, yeah, basically, and, and well, now, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> yeah, now, essentially, 30 years later, he's finally starting to talk about it. And other people in the hip-hop community have come forward and said the same thing. So when, when you look at, like, a lot of those groups reformed, like, Bone, Biggie, Tupac, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and all those ones, NWA and all of their, they were all fake gangsters. They weren't. Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah, and, no, no, yeah. So, and they, and they were all actors who were, you know, 
done for and when you tie two and two together it makes a whole lot of sense and they said this is going to be like a never-ending flow of money we're just going to have all these people going in jail for like bullshit robbery fighting Mm -hmm. you know uh marijuana possession and then as soon as like he starts talking about these dates and that narrative then you see stuff like the 1994 crime bill come out you see stop and frisk start to become more prevalent in in democratically ran big cities where they can take you know, minority groups and just stop them on the street. And if they got a joint in their pocket, they're going to go to fucking jail for five to eight years, which is crazy to me. Yeah, it's insanity. Yep. So it, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you kind of have to really weigh in on it and uh, and see what's up and, and how everything kind of ties together. So I don't know what you guys think about that. And what's pretty interesting, I think, in this whole narrative in these, you know, democratically ran George Soros funded cities right now is that um, in, in addition to some of the commentary we're seeing on it, you're starting to see a lot of the weird actors and the bad actors come back into the narrative to kind of weigh in on it. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who everybody is saying, not a huge fan, mm. don't really follow her on anything, uh, has been doing the cable news circuit kind of weighing in on this whole defund the police and bail reform, jail reform stuff uh, on the cable news media. You know, she she was she was kind of talking about it a little bit on Tucker Carlson the other day, and I grabbed a small clip for it. Let's hear it right now. We are headed down a very dangerous path, and right alongside that is the fact that we have politicians, we have activist judges, we have prosecutors who are not enforcing the law, people trying to defund the police, people who have really screwed up priorities, who seem to be more uh, interested and caring more about protecting criminals than actually protecting our community, which is really the most fundamental basic responsibility of our government, is to keep our people and our communities safe. And what we're seeing now as a result of these screwed up priorities, Tucker, is anarchy, Mm -hmm. chaos, Mm -hmm. and people getting hurt and loss of life on our streets. Don't forget that. And this is a, a, you know, you've, you've given a few of these really key examples here and how crazy it is that we have people who are guilty of, maybe are accused of petty crimes, who are pose no threat to the community, locked up in jail. And then you have violent felons who are let out, whether it's a bail of 500 bucks or 5,000 or 50,000, doesn't matter the amount. They are let out onto our streets, continuing their, their, uh, their terror sprees. It's crazy. No lies detected, really. Uh, kind of like a beat up narrative, though, because, you know, it's one that we've been talking about for ever yeah since the beginning and it's one of those things i think we really need to go back to where you know a lot of these i guess as uh our government put it root origins Mm -hmm. of this are um i want to take you guys back this is maybe five or six months ago i was watching this live in my living room and i we might have even played the clip at the time but uh just how and this is like one of the weird ones newt gingrich was on i believe it was the five on Fox News, and they were talking about this whole what's going on with this bail reform and violent criminals getting out and defund the police. And, like, you know, the they, 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 they even had some poll numbers come out last week where, like, I think 60% of the entire New York police force regret signing up to work there. Oh, shit. Well, yeah. I'm not surprised. And, and, and a number closer to 70% don't want to enforce any of the laws that they actually can because they know it's a complete waste of time and even like a why does that sound familiar it, yeah it's it's pretty funny you you see a lot of the same policies being ran at like Walmart's across the country right now yeah. uh but they said you know a small process crime let's just say robbing 
or vandalism or trespassing could lead to that officer dying because every single person, it seems like, now has a gun and decides to pull it on people. Or not dying, but being the officer that has to discharge that weapon, rightfully so. And then get turned into a national case, right? Where you're guilty from the minute your finger presses the trigger. And that's the thing you have that these people have like you want these people to do a good job, you want these people to be safe, you want these people to be effective and and do their job and protect people, but if they have that hovering in the back of their mind at all times while they're at work, like that's just not a healthy thing. Just you want people to be like okay mentally when they do these jobs and it's like you're adding undue stress like you know, factor that these bullshit uh vaccine mandates that they're, you know, stressing people out whether they're in the military law enforcement or both mm-hmm. like it's it's a lot to weigh on somebody's soul very stressful very stressful let's hear newt weigh in on where probably the real source of all these problems we're facing right now actually comes from and the blowback that he got anti-police pro-criminal district attorneys who refuse to pe- keep people locked up uh just yesterday they put somebody back on the street who's wanted for two different murders in new york city uh you cannot solve this problem and both Harris and Biden have talked very proudly about what they call progressive district attorneys. Progressive district attorneys are anti-police, pro-criminal, and overwhelmingly elected with George Soros' money. And they're a major cause of the violence we're seeing because they keep putting the violent criminals back on the street. I'm not sure we need to bring George Soros last- into this. Hmm. Oh, I remember this. <laughs> I was going to say you get the last word, he speaker. He, he, he paid for it. I mean, why can't we discuss the fact that millions no, of he dollars he spent? I, I agree with Melissa. George Soros doesn't need to be a part of this conversation. Okay. <laughs> Poor Newt. So it's verboten. All right. We're going to. Awkward. Okay. We're going to move on. Oh, of course uh, you are. Uh, so you, you had the host and then the the democratic person she was like one of the ass kissing assistants for the biden campaign at the time uh being like uh no he didn't uh, but that's after harris faulkner who who is the the commentator for fox news cuts him off and she's like oh, we don't need to bring george soros into this and he's like why he paid for it and she, no he didn't and that was the that was the fact checker right there that no, no no truth behind it just no he didn't yeah. in all caps fact checkers have determined that this is a false statement yeah no because n- yeah no other and they're citing uh, Vice. <laughs> yeah, because George Soros paid for it through a shell corporation. Right, paid for the fact checkers. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was extremely interesting and, and equally funny that that's, that's kind of where we're still at. That was live? Yeah. <laughs> when they do shit like that on live TV, it's the best. Because it's the actual real response that you're getting from these people without them being able to tailor their response to the narrative. Just like absolute panic yeah. like i don't think we need to bring george Soros into this they said we, they were not allowed to talk to i was told i could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume from the hours of you know you know it is going to make you panic though Ugh. the fact that there are rumors now that hillary clinton is thinking about Dying? firing up the old campaign Ooh. yeah again Imagine. and and she's been doing the cable news circuits as well she sat down with randy maddow the other day well if there if our systems still the same way it is, then yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to be scary. I hate to be Nuster dumbass, but. Oh, there you go. Like, 
Don't you like? Do you guys notice that like she looks different every time? Obviously, and and she looks equally different in this one than she did just a few weeks ago and a few weeks before that, and then on nine eleven. Yeah. Like, like which which fucking stand in? <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he, here was this one. Was, well, they they put more more uh, clothespins on the back of the mask sometimes. Hold the skin tighter. <laughs> this is her donning a turtleneck for, for Rachel Maddow and talking about, well, this, the narrative is this is, a, this is a bullet we really dodged. Got to end impunity. We have to hold people accountable for their actions, particularly when those actions threaten our way of life, our rule of law, our future as a democracy. Wait, and so I am determined to continue to speak out, to do whatever I can. And in fact, in the book we wrote, State of yeah. Terror, as you know, there is a plot against the country hmm. by people who truly want to turn the clock back. They true. believe that the progress we've made on all kinds There's of civil rights again. and mm-hmm. human rights, um, the cultural changes that have taken place are so deeply threatening that they want to stage a coup. Now, think about it, because that's truly what is behind Trump and his enablers and those who uh, invaded and attacked our capital. I thought you were going to give her the fully. Nah, Um, she doesn't deserve it. It it was one of those things right there. Don't worry, we have some Fauci coming up later. Uh, It's a good one. I definitely think this is going to be the crown jewel of the show. You you know, like you said, Noah, the projection is great. And then like everything she said, like, yes. Oh, no, but you're not talking about yourself. Okay, I'm confused. Because they say exactly what they're doing, then they put a little semicolon there, and they said, because Donald Trump. And then they turn everything back into January 6th, and it takes away from the well, Louis Two Vuitton. plus two is always four. True story. The Louis Vuitton store is getting robbed. People getting bear sprayed at Nordstrom. Well, if you need sweats, what are you going to do? I guess steal them, apparently. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. Antoinette, how much do Louis Vuitton sweats cost, do you figure? Yeah, we wouldn't know. There aren't any Louis Vuitton sweats that oh, I'm so aware of. Oh, so it was a lie. He <laughs> yeah, was going so... to Louis Vuitton to get some sweats. <laughs> Fucking lie. Fact check, false. There you go. All caps. There are not sweats at Louis Vuitton. <laughs> well, and it's kind of weird because for the second segment in a row, one on Trump and now <laughs> one on how democratically ran George Soros-funded cities are continuing to crumble across the United States. Bill Maher weighed in on the overall wokeness that is kind of fueling this fire of all of the retards, probably age 18 to 30-ish, that don't even understand, number one, what they're championing, and number two, how that whole narrative is fueling this stuff to make the places they live worse. Let's let's hear how he kind of put a little cherry on the top of this segment. Japan has a national holiday called Karonohi, Respect for the Aged Day. Hmm. You know the reason why advertisers in this country love the 18 to 34 demographic? Because it's the most gullible. <laughs> yeah. A third of people under 35 say they're in favor of abolishing the police. Not defunding, but doing away with a police force altogether, mm-hmm. which is less of a policy position and more of a leg tattoo. <laughs> of millennials think it might be a good idea to try communism. Mm. But much of the world did try it. I know millennials think that doesn't count because they weren't alive when it happened. But it did happen. And there are people around who remember it. Pining for communism is like pining for Betamax or MySpace. (laughs) 
So when you say you're old, you don't get it. Get what? Abolish the police and the border patrol and capitalism and cancel Lincoln? No, I get it. The problem isn't that I don't get what you're saying or that I'm old. The problem is that your ideas are stupid. I think I'm starting to see why you like them, though. Yeah. Every once in a while, there's a window of clarity that he uses. And, and the lady from the New York Times is sitting you there say, like, cringing in her chair. say, let's eat in the bathroom and shit in the kitchen. Yeah, that's a new idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't call it interior design. You think someone 80 is hopeless because they can't use an iPhone? Maybe the one who's hopeless is the one who can't stop using it. Mm. Oh, somebody in the back is like, ooh. You think I'm out of it because I'm not on Twitch? Well, maybe I get Twitch, but I just think people watching other people play video games is a waste of fucking time. Yeah. Twenty percent of Gen Z agree with the statement, society would be better off if all property was owned by the public and managed by the government. And another 29 percent say they don't know if that's a good idea. Here's who does know. Anyone who wasn't born yesterday. <laughs> I mean, it does kind of put a whole, you know, blanketing statement over the entirety of the actual news that we covered. Yeah. During this thing. And, and it's sad because if you put those two demographics together, that's nearly 50% of Gen Z, like, doesn't know if the Great Reset's a great idea or not. Or a great, great idea. Yeah. I'd like to retract my Louis Vuitton fact check. Mm-hmm. I've been corrected. Do they exist? So the, <laughs> the first the first scary thing for me that, you know, kind of leads me to believe that the person who is going to shop for said sweats doesn't live in the real world is mm-hmm. on Louis Vuitton website. And the little search bar says, shop for gifts under $3,000 here. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Louis Vuitton uh, sweats. You're not going to find a pair for less than $1,000. Mm-hmm. There's some reversible camo mm-hmm. pants. Oh, nice. For $2,080. You know, Antoinette, Christmas is coming. There's some vivid <laughs> trim jogging pants for $2,490. I don't like the slim fits. No. Ooh, you want? How about satin? You like satin? I've never, I've never seen sweats. Eighteen hundred dollars. Wow. That's interesting. I only buy shoes and bags. So. Well, there you go. There's two thousand dollars, jogging pants. Two thousand dollars. It's more than my fucking rent. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> um. Well, those prices aren't the only thing that's scary. Your favorite, Doctor Fauci. Well, maybe that's because of inflation. He actually. <laughs> Got on Actually, t- and I'll tell you what, though, I, honestly, so I, because I, like, I have bought Louis Vuitton and many things from there, um, I, you, I'll get notifications, uh, you know, there's a certain percentage, you know, increase happening because of inflation or every year it's, it's being because like, the cargo ship in- from China is backlogged in the harbor. Oh, they're not made in the USA. Yeah, I, think uh, I, doubt it. I think it's hilarious. I think it's like up like 15%. In the last three years or some shit like that? Uh, I don't know. Kind of arbitrary, like gas prices in California when you can drive less than 100 miles to Arizona and it's like a dollar less. True story. Yeah. Dr. Fauci was actually on television yesterday. I hate him. On the day of thanks. Thanks for nothing, Fauci. Yeah. And and he was kind of uh, pushed on how people like Tucker Carlson and Robert Kennedy Jr. 
are constantly railing against him. You are part of the problem. That is what he said, but he summed it up a little bit nice and even talked shit about Peter Navarro. Let's hear it. Got him. The praise yeah. or the or the arrows and slings are really irrelevant. I do what science oh, drives you to do, and that's what I do. And, you know, I'm not in it for a popularity contest. I'm oh. trying to save lives. And the people oh, who weaponize lies are killing people. Mm. So the only question I have is that when you show Tucker Carlson and Peter Navarro criticizing me, I consider that a badge of honor. Mm. That button's getting real sensitive. That was a premature <laughs> Fauci. Oh, well, <laughs> still, it, it hit where it was supposed to hit. Yeah. And, and you, you wonder how. That's what she said. Oh, there you go. Are we there already? Yeah, might as well. Nice. Well, Robert Kennedy Jr. was on, uh, well, he was on the greatest hit shows of, of like, the Tucky special show yesterday, but had, had done a piece not too long ago. Um, and, and he talked about beating back against this narrative where, like, I promote science. And, like, we all know that's not I true. I am science. Right. I'm saving lives. It's not also not true. No. Uh, you know. Jeopardizing We're lives, maybe. Today, um, right. Today's world. This guy's saying he saves lives. Everything he says, just think opposite. Exactly. And, and that's basically what Robert Kennedy Jr. here is saying. Um, listen to this clip. I, th- I think it's actually probably one of the better hot takes that he's given. What I tell people is, you know, we have to, we have to love our freedom more than we fear a, a germ. Mm-hmm. We have to. And... You know, even to, to, and I would even, you know, remind people that there's all that, even if this was the deadly disease that they say it is, there's worse things than death. And there was a whole generation, and that may sound cold and people get mad at me for saying it, but we're lucky that there was a whole generation of Americans in 1776 who said it would be better to die than to not have these rights written down. And they gave wow. us that. They gave us that gift of that Bill of Rights. And in one year, at the bidding of a doctor, because he's telling us, you know, you need to do this to say them, and orchestrated fear, and, you know, all of the weird stuff they did with the numbers, which is not what public health is supposed to be doing. In one year, all of those rights have been taken away from us. I really like him, and I always like the narrative. Yeah, his, that, that uh, he, that's 100% on point. Robert Kennedy Jr. is a doctor, and Robert Kennedy Jr. was, up until the start of COVID, very well respected in, in the medical community. Kind of had a hard stance on vaccinations. He was kind of in the Trump boat of, like, maybe not anti-vax, but too much and and too often and, and too many more than there were, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. You also have to remember that, no, uh, he was one of those people, too. He is best friends with... Gavin Newsom and and Gavin Newsom's family. And it's just weird how that whole dynamic, you know, Gavin Newsom and him were, were huddling at the beginning of COVID and look at where they are now. You know, it's just one of those things where, you know, moving forward, we're really going to have to kind of take a better look at um, these narratives that Robert Kennedy Jr. is talking about and, and how much they're relevant to actually what's going on. Well, just everything he said, everything he just said, like 100% spot on. And he didn't say anything about not taking the vaccination. He didn't say anything about not being against or for something. He just said like... No, it's it's the stuff that everyone should be able to get behind. Like, what is the motivation to skew the numbers? What is the motivation to lie? What is the motivation to 
to literally just make people afraid. True story. Well, it didn't take long after hearing some of that truth from Robert Kennedy Jr. for the worst Fauci adversary, Dr. Rand Paul, to weigh in and drop some tactical nukes on that whole, I consider it a badge of honor narrative. Let's hear what he kind of had to say in regards to that when he jumped on with Jesse Waters this week. Now, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, just casually throwing the Bill of Rights under the bus, Senator. Hmm. Well, uh, alarming. I mean, alarming, one, that he has such casual disdain for individual liberty. But if you combine that with also a casual disdain for science, boy, we got a real problem. (laughs) An authoritarian who also doesn't obey the science. I mean, look at this. Over 100 million Americans have had COVID. And if you ask the CDC, well, how do these people react? The people have had COVID and recovered. How often? do they get sick again? Do they spread the disease very well? Oh, we don't know. We don't keep track of that. Can you imagine the guys in charge of this? We pay him more than anybody in the government. He has casual disdain for the Bill of Rights and your liberty, but he's not keeping track. He's like, CNN asked him one day, what do you think about natural? He's like, oh, that's interesting. We should look into that as if it was the first time he's ever heard of it. He's a liar and he lies about the natural immunity. He knows it works. This is a recipe for totalitarianism. It's a recipe for something we don't want in our country. It's par for the course. Fauci doesn't know anything. Mayorkas yesterday on the border, he's got no clue. Uh, I don't know. I don't have that information. Mm. Uh, Mayor Pete doesn't know anything about the supply chain. It's just ignorance is bliss, it seems like. And Fauci should know because we're paying him a boatload of dough, as you said, the highest paid guy in the federal government. Real quick, I just wanted to get your reaction to this Biden whistleblower says that they're targeting parents with the Patriot Act. The counterterror division of the FBI is now involved. Your thoughts? Well, you know, my father warned about this from the very beginning. With you know, I, and we're sticking with the COVID narrative here as we're wrapping up, and it's just one of those things where I, I think there's nothing that Dr. Paul said there that's untrue. Um, <clears throat> and I do think that one of the biggest things he talked about is setting ourselves up for totalitarianism you know we're already there big time and and it's one of those things where we need to uh really watch our asses because this this is a slippery slope you know just today they announced that there's that new strain in south africa that's already made it to germany and it's already made it to israel and it's 500 times more catchier and and 100 more times so you're saying there's a new variant Yes. Well, yeah, it's all because of the vaccine. You never, you never fucking vaccinate during a pandemic, you know. But and, and this whole vaccine narrative in general has just gotten absolutely out of control, um, yeah. and it, it's something really hard to like hang on to. Uh, someone who had in our last audio clip of the day has had enough with these questions about the vaccines and the mandates and if you're vaccinated and how can you weigh in on it is Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich, mostly known for nunchucks. And mostly not known for doing anything with the Maricopa County audit up to this point. Uh, He was pressed at a press conference um, the other day talking about vaccination mandates and his status. And the answer he had on Wednesday I thought was especially interesting. No, you're probably going to like this one. 
uh, for the constitutional principles involved. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thanks. And thank you so much for pleading United Firefighter Association. I'll be out here after to ask any other questions. That's an inappropriate question. It's not an inappropriate question. This is the thing, Dennis. I will, I will tell everyone here. I believe very strongly and um, the privacy of our medical and health information. And so my health information is is my own information. I would mm -hmm. guess I would ask, Dennis, um, have you had an STD? No, I mean, no, seriously, if we're going to start talking about people's personal health information, I mean, the point is, is that no government, no, no, no government, no, it's... Well, you know, it's, if you listen, Bram, to the um, yes. argument, it's funny, Judge Liberty brought up this point. In the 70s and 80s, there was. There was an outbreak. And if you accept the notion that the federal government, for public health reasons, can mandate you to do something or not do something, um, then does that mean if there was an STD outbreak or health outbreaks in the 70s and 80s, could they tell you that you, if you're a government contractor or a, uh, an employee that has a contract with the government that you can't engage in intercourse with other human beings? Mm. I mean, that literally is a question the federal judge asks. So that's not a ridiculous question. The question should be, once you allow or cede this authority to the federal government, where does it stop? And my health information is my own health information, Dennis. Thank you very much. There you go. What do you think of that one, Noah? I mean, you did ask yeah. the reporter if he ever had an STD. And then the reporter's like, is there an STD pandemic going on? <laughs> There's always an there STD. There's always an STD pandemic going on. Yeah, I mean, tell me there's not. So not exactly the news I want to be reporting on Mark Burnovich, but definitely a little bit of a basedness to his worst comeback ever. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Antoinette? This whole uh, medical freedoms and uh, complete human rights violations of, of everybody in regards to the, this vaccine and the mandates and, and vaccination status and indoor outdoor masks and you know in parts of california last week they they mandated masks inside of your own homes it's just so ridiculous yeah like there's nobody even if you're on the if you're on riding for biden team freaking Karen, whatever the pixie haircut the, to the no one is level no one is doing that no maybe the person who wears it in their car you know forgets to take it off when they get inside and then they sit down on the couch and they're watching What's whatever horrible shows they're watching to get their information, and then oh CNN, sorry. Unfortunately, uh, I think that there's people that sleep in surgical masks. Mm, yeah, At this might. point, I don't think that the people. I think that people did that in the beginning, and my mother-in-law in England is one of them. Wow. Well, I mean, in the beginning, last year Christmas, she made everybody wear a fucking mask in the house, yeah. and I was like, thank God we're not, <laughs> we're not in England right I now. I mean, in yeah. the beginning, when when I went to go see my mother, who's uh, you know, not the healthiest. Medically inclined. I was spraying the doorknob with Lysol. I was making her wait outside while I went inside to do stuff. And it's like, okay, I'm taking this seriously. And then as more information came out, as you notice more things not making sense, not adding up, you're just like, yeah, now it kind of seems like a little bit of bullshit. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the same. And I'm already like a germaphobe and I have a toddler. So I worry because, you know, baby hands, you know, crawling, you know, hands to mouth, all that stuff. But yeah, now I'm just like, if people don't like, I don't care what size you're on, but if you don't realize that it's all bullshit, mm -hmm. you're, I think you're pretty. Yeah. But if you admit that it's bullshit, if you've attached yourself to it, to the extent where it is your identity and it yeah. is everything that you've been spouting for the past year, year and a half, yeah. it's difficult for people to separate themselves from that. Sure is. It's a cult, basically. The Branch Covidians. And it's not getting any better <laughs> anytime soon. Joining us today, first on this 
Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's a field reporter with The Daily Caller. He's the man behind Jorge Ventura TV. I guess we kind of gave it away. It's Jorge Ventura coming back with us today. Sir, welcome back to Steak for Breakfast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, guys. Oh, it's our pleasure. Man, You, we always like to have the hardest working men and women in the business on. And again, we've hit that benchmark with our first guest today. I've, I've seen you on television just about everywhere in the past couple of months. Why don't you tell us about some of the stuff you've been working on? Yeah, man. So we've been, you know, we've been covering the border you know, pretty heavy. I think it was like a month and a half ago. I was in Yuma, Arizona, and I actually I encountered a a armed human smuggler who was actually trying to steal my phone for filming him. Yeah, we saw that, that was a very that was very interesting, just because that's that's never happened to me. Um, and I think actually last time I was with you guys, I was in the middle of filming the documentary that is now out, but the documentary um, Cartelville, USA where I remember I told you guys on the show where we basically re- recently discovered um, kind of in the past year and a half, two years that these drug cartels, which are uh, Mexican, Armenian and the Chinese have recently discovered uh, the deserts out here in SoCal, like the Antelope Valleys were. And actually I, I live here now still in, in Palmdale. Okay. And, you know, they've been starting up these illegal marijuana operations. And look, I know for, for the majority of people, when they hear illegal marijuana, people just kind of shrug their shoulders. Don't think it's a, it's a big deal. Um, and you know, they kind of have this idea that it's probably just Cheech and Chong in the middle of nowhere growing pot, but they kind of have no idea of this criminal element. Um, so kind of, you know, basically the, the cartels have, have recently discovered these desert areas. They start up these illegal marijuana operations. They then smuggle migrants in, uh, through, through Mexico. Um, so we're seeing the real life human trafficking, human smuggling, labor trafficking too, is what they actually call it. Um, so we're seeing that in real time. We're seeing the, you know, water theft. Uh, the violence has gone up in our communities just because these guys have just taken over. And so we recently discovered that problem. I remember last time I was on your show, we were in the middle of filming that. So basically what I've been mainly focused on is actually I took a break from the border. We did a full documentary on this. It was like a four month investigation into these drug cartels, how they're operating, the water theft, the violence, the policies. Um, this, you know, on, in our documentary was the first time ever that a lot of these residents who live next to these cartels have ever spoken in front of, you know, spoke to someone on camera about this. They haven't even spoke to local media about it. So we went in real deep, did the full investigation. It took us like a month to edit. Um, so I went back to DC for that. And then in the middle of our editing is when the 15,000 Haitians hit Del Rio, Texas. So literally in the middle of editing, I had to actually leave my producer and go down to Del Rio, obviously find out what's going on with all these Haitians went down there, even went to the Mexican side, did some reporting over there, came back to D.C., finished the documentary. Finally, we, re- we released it on November 4th. Um, so we finally released the documentary, released it November 4th. And kind of in the middle of promoting kind of the doc and in the midst of that, you know, the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict came down. So for folks who don't know, I was in I was in Kenosha all those nights yeah. that the riots happened. I was about three blocks away from Rittenhouse. So um, for those if you guys recently see me on TV it's for two reasons, it was it was one was to promote the doc. But then the other reason is. Um, you know, I had a bunch of media who wanted who wanted my take on the verdict um, with Kyle Rittenhouse since I was there. Um, so I got to dis- discuss that. My, my main thing on the on the verdict, and if we get into it, we'll, 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 you know, we could get into it. But um, was that I felt it was a huge win for the frontline journalism guys who were on the ground, you know, giving people the real the real story, you know, the full scope of story through video. We're not talking about with commentary. We're talking about with video. And I do believe if it, if it wasn't for us frontline guys. Kyle Rittenhouse would be in prison right now. Corporate media would have got the result they wanted, but corporate media lost. Silicon Valley lost too because they censored anyone who spoke in favor of Kyle Rittenhouse. Um, so 
it's kind of been hectic actually guys to be honest the the the, the past kind of couple months um yeah it's kind of been a yeah really hectic you know promoting the dog we got the rent house stuff we got more uh we got more investigations on the way with all these cartel stuff so it's a, it's some exciting um exciting times yeah it definitely is um we are actually going to touch on all of those things you just mentioned and let's try to go in order you, you briefly touched on the documentary um this is something you obviously poured yourself into all the way from physically reporting down there, putting your life in danger. Literally, you can go back onto your Instagram and see that video where, you know, the coyote basically pulls a gun on you and you're uh, kind of a hairy situation. Um, th- there was a lot. And, 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 you know, you talked about kind of the northbound stuff and, and you know, U.S. citizens who live and are, and are affected by these cartels coming out every day, uh, you know, finally coming out and talking about how this directly affects their lives. Why don't you give us a little bit more insight into, like, what is in the body of this of this documentary and then obviously at the end of the show we're gonna live link everything so our audience can go and check this out because it was pretty amazing work that you were able to do yeah so essentially what happened just to give you guys the the background story so i was actually at the border in south texas covering it even there i met congressman uh, mike garcia who's a republican he represents district 25 in north Los Angeles County. So north of Los Angeles County, just for the audience who doesn't know, it's very, like I said, desert rural. You got communities up here like the Andalou Valley, Lancaster, Neenak. We got an Acton, Eden. Right next to us here in the in the high desert, we are right next to San Bernardino County, which has kind of communities like El Mirage and Phelan. So I asked, you know, Mike Garcia, I'm like, hey, hey, Congressman, why are you even at the border? You're like literally the only representative from California who's who cares about the border. And he said, Jorge, what's happening here is actually affecting my community, which is 300 miles away from the border. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, what, what do you mean? He's like, we have kind of a this Mexican drug cartel, human trafficking, illegal marijuana. He, he called it a crisis. Um, so he essentially what he did is he invited me to two town hall, two town hall meetings out here in the desert um, to, race, to basically hear the stories from the residents. And even before that, according to Mike Garcia, he held a town hall um out here in the deserts and a cartel member actually went to the town hall meeting and he went armed almost to intimidate the congressman and also intimidate the the community to kind of show these guys that they're here so wow um so I, I came down here to the town hall meetings i met with a bunch of residents and i couldn't believe the stories i was hearing i mean i was hearing stuff like these cartels shoot at these people they threaten them they not only that um but they're changing up the, the, all these communities in the desert with all the money they have. So they're yep. buying people out of their homes, turning them into illegal grows. If they can't buy you out of the home, then they'll just keep stealing water from you to the point where you get sick of it. And obviously you don't want to live in a community where you got cartel people, you know, siphoning your water from you in the middle of the night. And so I, I was hearing these stories and I couldn't believe that it was happening on American soil. Um, I spoke to an L.A. County sheriff that told me that I guess in 2020, they only identified 150 of these grows and then they fast forwarded to 2021 and they have over 500. Wow. So I was, I was, you know, um, I was shocked. I called my producer back in DC. He came down. I said, Hey man, we need to do a full investigation on this. I don't know why the story hasn't hit the national news. I don't know why there's almost like no coverage on this. Um, and I was also shocked because we just had a recall election with Gavin Newsom. And then, you know, we have the Republican candidates. I didn't hear it from either side of them talking about this drug cartel problem in our state, especially the water theft. Um, for folks who don't know here, here in, in Southern California, every day that these illegal marijuana operations are up between 3 million to 9.6 million water gallons are being wasted. I just I, actually, I just spoke to a DEA agent up in Shasta County, which is in, in NorCal. Yeah. Every day that the operations are running up there, they're, they're at 10 million, 10 million water gallons a day. So I didn't, you know, so I was kind of shocked of, 
hearing all of this stuff and then, you know, to, to, you know, with the lack of media coverage, I was like, there's no way we have to go full depth investigation. And also there's, there's a, there's a homicide element also tight tights because of the violence has been going up. They, uh, LA County Sheriff finds bodies that have been shot and killed out here in the desert connected to these illegal grows. The LA times actually reported last year that there was a 26 year old Guatemalan migrant who was trying to escape, um, who was trying to escape one of these girls because basically he's being forced to work. You know, this is labor trafficking and he was shot and killed and LA County Sheriff didn't, didn't find his body for four months. Wow. So hearing all this stuff, I was like, no way, we need to do an investigation. Um, I bought out, I actually, I, I brought a friend who was a photojournalist. His name is Eric Herrera, who works at the border, brought him out. We got this little spy drone. And what we do with the spy drone is we would go out in the day, go to these illegal grows, and then we would fly the spy drone right over the illegal grow, like pretty low. So then the audience could see it. And, you know, we just wanted to compile this video evidence that's never been done before. So we would fly the spy drone a day. Then we also even went out at night, fly that spy drone. Um, on our second day of filming, we actually got car chased by one of the cartel guys. Yeah, I was about to um, say, that's on, probably going to lead to that end eventually. Yeah. Yeah. And then on our final final week, we got um, we actually got stopped and confronted by one. Um, so it's been it was kind of a crazy kind of journey. Just 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 doing all that, because this story has never been told the way that we did it. And especially with all the video um, kind of covered. So if anyone could look at it, if you could look at Embassy L.A., or Fox LA, when it comes to this story of illegal girls in desert, the reporter is always in a helicopter, just pointing at the girls from an aerial view. I said, you know what? I mean, that's great and all, but I wanted to even get closer. That's what, oh, that's yeah. what we went. We went in with the spy drone. I'm also grateful for all the residents who actually trusted us and telling our story because before that, they've never spoken to media on camera because obviously the fear of retaliation. Obviously, we we protected their identities, but um, we felt it was a powerful piece to put everything together and. Um, you know, I'm just really shocked also about the amount of Californians that basically had no idea this was happening in their backyard. Yeah, that's definitely a huge uh, talking point. And there's a couple of things I want to touch on there. There's a lot of things that people have no idea that's going on. Exactly. Um, yep. Like who you're driving next to on the freeway it might be a, a trunk full of people going to uh, work at these grows. Yeah, exactly. Or, or a car full of drugs going to a house to drop it off and then to distribute in the United States. I think one of the elements that a lot of people in the United States don't understand. Now, we are getting... Uh, inundated with a lot of different people from around the world right now in this border crisis since the Biden regime took over. Uh, you know, you're seeing people from Russia and China, Ukraine, Belarus, all over the world, a lot of people from Central and South America coming up that that usually don't migrate here, and it's all incentive-based, but when you just want to focus on a lot of the people who are in Mexico um, and some of the reasons why, you know, an overwhelming majority of them are economic migrants. They're coming here for, air-quoting, a better life, uh, but when you go in and, and look at some of the reporting that you've done and other people who are border correspondents do, you always find out there's pressures in Mexico of the cartels coming onto their land saying they're either going to use it or take it or buy it from them. And if it gets down to the point to where they push back at all, they're either going to wind up leaving and migrating or dead pretty much. Those, those, are, those are pretty much your two options when it comes to the cartels taking your land. What you just described is essentially the same exact thing happening in the United States now which is just mind-blowing to me. You're seeing the cartels come in, these illegal grows, they're stealing water, they're using forced labor from the third world, they're, they're bullying people who live in the area, there's murders occurring. It sounds like a lot of the stuff that ha happens down in, in southern Mexico where a lot of the drugs are either brought in from Asia, manufactured, or sent up to the United States is now happening north in the United States, Los Angeles County, California. It's crazy to hear that. And yeah, it's... It, it, 
Yeah, it's interesting. Seven. Let me remind folks: it's not just the Mexicans. We have the Chi- I mean, here in in my area, we have the Mexicans, the Chinese, and the Armenians um, getting involved in this. So, like, you know, in our in our documentary, the you guys are gonna get be able to get a look at when we go embedded with San Bernardino County sheriffs when they raid these groves. They were raiding groves that day that were connected to Chinese mafia. And the thing is, what makes it what makes it interesting is that the Chinese actually smuggled their own Chinese nationals through the southern border and forced them to to work on those on those grow ups. Um, we're seeing the Armenians get involved and the Armenian tactic is a, is a bit different. So the Armenians don't actually do the outdoor grow as they'll buy. They'll just buy homes. They'll gut the inside out and they'll just do it indoor grows, but they'll still smuggle. Um, Hispanic migrants and force them to work uh, work there. When I was speaking to a DA agent up in North Cal, that's actually going to be our, our next investigation. So a little scoop for the audience here. We're, we're heading up to Shasta County because I guess according um, to a DA agent I spoke to, Shasta County has over 7,000 uh, illegal girls. And they're saying that mm. the Russians are up there. So we're going to see what's going on over there. And um, kind of like I mentioned earlier, guys, so here in LA County, uh, we got over 500 girls. The county next door to us, which is San Bernardino, they have over a thousand. And it's it's thorough. It's literally third world stuff. When you're out there in the desert, it's literally the wild, wild west. You're all yeah. on your own. Law enforcement doesn't patrol the high deserts like that because they don't actually have the firepower to deal with these criminal groups. So they're, they're literally not out there. And when you're speaking to residents out there, they they literally now have no go zones. I mean, it feels like you're already in Central America or it feels you're deep in Mexico, but you're here in the United States. It's happening on American soil. And, you know, this problem started up in North California and it's trickled down and now it's, it's finally hit SoCal. And, you know, I do believe if we don't put a stop to it, not only is, is it going to get worse, the water theft, the real estate, you know, these guys are, are getting ever more powerful. And, you know, something else that kind of plays a role is just our weak uh, district attorney here in Los Angeles County, who is George Cascone, a very progressive DA. He came down from San, from San Francisco and now is here in, in our county. And, you know, George Cascone just made the, the news the, uh, the past couple of weeks because he just released um, a man who committed murder who was supposed to serve 50 years. He's now only he only served six years oh. and has been released. So that's the type of DA that we also have here in L.A. County when, when we deal with these illegal girls. So that's a huge issue as well. Yeah, that's one of the things that uh, is definitely having a major effect on a lot of those bigger cities in the United States right now. It's those mayors, DAs, even the sheriffs sometimes who are all, you know, funded by outsourced uh, entities and then put into places to where it seems like their job is just to destabilize. You've had that guy in Wisconsin, the DA over the weekend, he made comments like after that, you know, tragic thing when the guy ran over all those people at the parade saying like, is bail reform going to lead to people dying in my district? He's like, sure it is, 100%. I know it. Everybody knows it. And, and basically, he doesn't care. You know, and if that's if that's the mindset that we're working with here, while, while such a large international criminal element is kind of deep-rooting itself even more in the United States right now, it's a pretty scary thing to think about. Mm. Um, next thing I want to touch on, uh, you, you did mention you went down to Del Rio. There are only so many things you can see on television. We do know that a lot of the... Uh, you know, news agencies were kept out. DHS even closed airspace uh, for, you know, a certain amount of time. And the DPS actually took the media with them because it's affecting their community. At one point, there was just as many migrants or more crossing through than people who were living in some of those towns. Mm-hmm. You know, the hospitals were overran and businesses were being forced to close and make food for the people that were there because it was such a crisis. What was it like literally being on the grounds on both sides of the of the river during that that, you know, huge event that happened just a couple months ago. 
Yeah, so that was something you know I've never I've never seen before ever working at, at the border. So you know I get to the border, and I get to Del Rio the day after the fake kind of viral photos of the uh, patrol agents whipping migrant stories. So I get there a day after that, and you know border patrol is pretty upset. So when I get there, they have already shut off media access to be under the bridge. So now I can't get under the bridge. I can't do any any reporting. So I say, you know, um, I say, you know what? We're going to head into Ciudad Acuna. We're going to head into the Mexican side. Before we actually head into the Mexican side, you know, when you even drive up to the gas stations or the airport, they were literally just dumping these Haitian migrants out in the, in the open, in, in public. I've never seen that ever like that. So, you know, we went to the gas station. We see a bunch of Haitians just outside waiting. So, I, you know, I, obviously we get our cameras out. We go up to the Haitians. And um, I'm like, hey, where are you guys headed? And the nine times out of 10, the answer that I was getting was that these Haitian migrants were headed to the state of Florida. Yeah. And then when I would ask them, hey, do you guys have family members back in Florida? They would say yes. So that kind of made sense that they were being sent to Florida. There's a large Haitian community out there in South Florida. Um, so that was first the first the shocking part. Did you see how how much they were getting released into the public? The second was um, we were able to break the story on that the Haitian migrants were getting released into the U.S. without yes. being t- uh, tested for COVID-19. So then we would ask them on camera, have you been tested for COVID-19? Um, you know, they were very honest with us, so they would say no. So we compiled a bunch of those interviews. We put those interviews up. A lot of the mainstream news actually ran that story for us. And it actually put pressure on DHS Secretary Mayorkas to actually come out and do a press conference and say, hey, guys, um, yeah, you know those 12,000 Haitians that we released into the U.S.? Yeah, we're not testing them for COVID-19. Mm. <laughs> he then he came out like a couple of days later, actually, and come, comes out and says, hey, guys, you know, those 12,000 Haitians we released into the U.S. and we put into you um, and we put on public buses and airplanes. Um, about 20 percent of them, uh, we think, are actually COVID-19 positive, which is great. So it's like, oh, great. So now you're putting these folks into the American public. So first we were able to break that story. Um, now, there were so many Haitians living under the bridge. We couldn't cross into Mexico. <sighs> from the Del Rio port of entry. So the port of entry was actually close. We actually had to drive 50 miles the other way. And we actually had to head to Eagle Pass, Texas and cross through there. What I didn't know, now I know after, it was um, that the city that we entered in Mexico, Pedas Negras, is extremely dangerous for journalists. There's a major highway uh, that you have to take to get into Ciudad Acuna, which is about like an hour long where these cartels basically control the whole highway and they will stop you. So I didn't even know this um, heading in. Actually, I got told this by some reporter friends after they told me how, how they basically were calling me a dummy for doing like you went where? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I basically, guys, we, we went into Eagle Pass, Texas, which is 50 miles east, I believe, of of Del Rio, because that port of entry was closed. So we enter we enter into a town called Pedras Negras, Mexico. We enter in there. And we have to drive a whole hour on this major cartel highway uh, into Ciudad Acuna. So we do that. We get to Ciudad Acuna. And basically, all these Haitians um, had, had basically made a makeshift camp in Mexico, um, right, you know, right there in Ciudad Acuna. So I was, I was first, I was just fascinated because I've never seen anything like this. So obviously, I'm taking video. We're doing interviews with some of these Haitian migrants. We actually find out that they are not coming from Haiti. No. They're coming in from Chile. They've been living in Chile. You know, some of them are, you know, more than five years. Some of them about that, the 10 year mark. They ha- even have the IDs. So we were the, we were we were one of the first kind of news agencies or whatever that were able to kind of break that story on the Haitian IDs um, and kind of get that out to the public. Yeah, they're not there was that kind of that those. part of video where 
and this is the thing that I was most fascinated by is the Haitians on the Mexican side were transporting supplies to the Haitians on the U.S. Del Rio side. Yep. Um, so the Haitians that were living under under the bridge um, on the U.S. side in Del Rio, they had basically no supplies. So they were actually really getting their food from the Haitians crossing on the Mexican side. And they were able just to cross in the wide open. No Border Patrol was stopping them. It almost looked like third world country stuff. So obviously I get my camera. We film that. Um, there, there's, there's a part of my video where actually I jump in the water with the Haitians and we're filming these guys, you know, go, go back and forth. And we were able to be one of the first people to break that story. Um, it was something, like I said, I never, never thought I could believe. And the crazy part of, of, of the whole thing of being down there in Del Rio with the Haitians is in literally one week, those 12,000 Haitians that were living there were all cleared. They were all released into the, into the U.S., which was something that we, you know, I was really just astonished of just how fast they did it because it was so many people yeah. um, getting released uh, without being tested. It was um, it was hectic stuff. And um, we were, you know, I'm just glad we were able to give give the people, the American audience, a frontline look at it just to kind of understand the complex of the story, because there was m- many elements, like I said, them coming from Chile, having Chilean IDs. Um, then we were able, able to find out that the reason that they actually went through Del Rio is because Del Rio is, is one of the few, if maybe not one of the only uh, border towns in Mexico that is actually not controlled by this kind of cartel human smuggling group. So a lot of these cartel border towns, you know, the migrants can't cross without paying a fee. You know, we, 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 we've done reporting on that with those wristbands and things like that. Um, so we even found out that Del Rio is one of the few places where it's not controlled like that. But, um, we, you know, I think it opened the eyes to Americans of kind of how corrupt the system is because they just released 12,000 Haitians into the into the public, knowing that 20 percent of them were co- were COVID-19 positive. Um, and it was it was it was not only that, but also it was interesting because Biden, he was just coming off the Afghanistan withdrawal. So his approval rating was dipping. And then he got hit with this Haitian stuff and then it even dipped even lower because the optics were bad on both ends. Because oh, yeah. Obviously, on the right. They were they were not happy because it's you know they're seeing open borders, but then the left was mad because Biden was deporting uh, the single Haitian males under Title Forty Two, which was a Trump era policy. So then you had the left mad because Biden was doing a Trump policy. Then you had the right mad because it was open borders. So Biden uh, approval rating got hit by got by both sides on that one. Yeah. So then he just had to make it all disappear. There you go. Hashtag science. Right. All right. One thing I want to piggyback onto this whole while we're still on the border and it's, it's not something that's directly connected to Del Rio, but, but something that's for sure ever present every day down there. It's the, uh, the element of the human smuggling with like kind of a sex trafficking twist on it. And it's kind of like two things. It's, it has to do number one with the children and, and, and kind of like how that whole fraud exists with people just like basically giving their kids to other people to create family units. And then there's like the, uh, you know, the fraud element of it where people, can basically come in, get a nice clean shave and a fresh haircut and, and say they're 16 or 17 year olds and basically be released into the country as a unaccompanied minor. We've reported on this show for the last couple of weeks, you know, it was pretty tragic to see someone who did come in at some point in the last few months at Del Rio um, said that they were a 17 year old kid. They wound up getting flown unaccompanied to Florida because they claimed that they had family there. And a few weeks later turned out to be a 30 year old man who murdered a father of four. Oops. And, uh, you know, with a long, extensive criminal record and it goes into like that initial screening and stuff that they're just so overwhelmed that they can't necessarily do. You know, they had Mayorkas up on Capitol Hill about a week and a half ago and Ted Cruz was just hitting them with how many people have been screened, how many people have been screened until they finally got him to say, like, I don't have the numbers means basically nobody. And, and that's, that's kind of where, where they're at. No fault of the people who are working there. Um, but, you know, 
just because of the numbers that are coming across. What are some of the things you've seen with either like some of the, you know, fraud, either lying about who you are, where you come from or your age, or just like, you know, the, the criminal aspect that goes into, you know, shuffling these kids all over the world. Yeah. So what we've seen in, in, in person, and we got, we got plenty of this on video when we do reporting in Roma is there is a very dark element of this whole migration process where you either have families or even without even the, the kids choice. Some of these, some of these kids are orphans where they get almost assigned to these, to these single adult males who will claim that they are the father of these kids because they know the system. They know that if they say they're a family unit or that, you know, the kid they're with, they're the father of, they'll get released into the United States. And this is kind of a very sick sex trafficking, labor trafficking element uh, connected to this. So when we done some reporting in Roma, uh, we showed the audience kind of that bracelet system where mm-hmm. you can't you can't cross on these rafts without without paying a fee. Now, where we were, we actually get to see it in person where you kind of have these adult males um, assigned to these kids who we know they are not the father of. We could even we could just tell off the bat by the way they handle the kid, all that stuff. And so they'll say that that they're the father. Then you know they basically get released into the U.S. with the, with those kids. Let me, I just want to give a quick uh, stat too, just for the folks. Yeah, give it. Um, Axios even reported this back in August. So one out of three unaccompanied children that get released into the United States, the U.S. government loses track of. So according to the U.S. government, when we have these unaccompanied minors, we either release them to a family member or or, or what they call a vetted sponsor. Yep. Well, obviously, the government isn't doing a good job if one out of three kids gets lost into the system. So there's a very dark element. These kids are either getting two things or actually sometimes even both. They're either going into the sex trafficking aspect where they're going to be human smuggled to through different states and get sold in the sex world. Or two, these kids are going to be used in, in what we call labor trafficking. So either they'll go work on a farm, they'll go work on one of these illegal marijuana operations. They could also be working on a cocaine fentanyl lab. So they'll be forced into this kind of drug world um, and they get what they what they call lost in the system. The situation actually got so bad. We're losing actually so many migrant kids. I don't know if the people even know this. We're losing so many migrant kids in the system that the Department of Justice, the DOJ, is running. It's an investigation on our own federal government because we're literally losing that many kids in the system. We're like, what the hell? So in our documentary, people are actually going to see the labor trafficking aspect where these kids and these women are forced to work on these girls. Um, but it's a very dark element that that doesn't get highlighted enough, and I don't even know why we don't we haven't even put a stop to it. I mean, one out of three is excessive. We we done a we done a report, guys, um, where we all we did was interview unaccompanied minors that just got smuggled in. Literally, as they get smuggled in, we're doing the interviews. We, we say, "Where's your parents? Where's your this? Where's your that?" Always back home, back in El Salvador, back in Guatemala. And one of the sad things of that report is we interview. A 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and an 8-year-old. It was a sister and two brothers. The, the two brothers were the older ones. And in my head, as I'm interviewing them, I said, oh, my God, this sister and these two brothers, they don't even know this, but they're one of the, one of them is going to get lost into the system. The government isn't going to be able to find them. One of them is going to be lost into the sex trafficking yep. or labor trafficking world. So it's just, it, to me, is very it's very sick stuff. Um you know, uh, then, you know, I've, I've, I, when we put this info out, we, I had people message me like, oh, my God, but we have two million foster parents ready to adopt adopt kids. And it's like, well, these kids are getting lost in the foster care system, too. So it's, that's not even a good sign. So it's like um, it's a very dark element that doesn't really get highlighted enough. Um, and, and to me, it's 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 sad because when you're there seeing it in person, it's a game changer. Not only that, we're, we're meeting a lot of the women migrants 
that have been sex trafficking, yep. that have been that have been not only not only that, but they've been humans. I mean, sexually assaulted and raped on their way to the border. For folks who don't know, there's a there's a thing in the border that's called um, um, I forgot the exact term, but there's 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 trees out there where these smugglers will will rape these migrant women and then they'll hang up their draws on the trees almost to like almost to show off to the border patrol like what are you going to do almost like them celebrating in front of in front of us so it's some sick stuff i believe they actually just call it rape trees down there i know my my good friend anthony aguero actually filmed um he actually on you know he accidentally stumbled upon a migrant woman getting uh getting raped actually by a human smuggler and if if he didn't he if he didn't stop it she might actually been killed after that um so that's the type of stuff that you don't really hear on the headlines not only that but all the all the um all the little kids that actually just get abandoned by the border so when i'm in arizona and i'm speaking to the police chiefs down there um they have these border walls that are up they're up to 25 feet high they'll just grab these unaccompanied minors just just dump them over that 25 foot high wall these 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 kids fall you know they'll break a leg or two and they're you know if if border patrol doesn't find them they'll just be there and die um and that's the type of stuff that really doesn't make the national headlines and it's it's like i said it's very dark stuff we're seeing we're seeing it in person we're seeing you know um kind of the money system how how they put these human these bracelets on them and treat these guys like almost like if they're amazon products um it's very it's very very sad stuff and you know I don't know if we're ever going to put a stop to it. It seems like this administration has no urgency to get in there. Um, it's almost like these politicians don't recognize that these policies embolden all the wrong people. They embolden the bad guys. And, you know, you have one party who says they care for black and brown lives, yet uh, this issue only impacts basically black and black and brown lives at the border. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where that stuff that you just mentioned right now is not talked about enough. You know, a lot of people on... TV, legacy media, they'll use it as a drive-by headline. They'll bring in a quote expert who will talk extremely vaguely about it, but you have literally seen it with your own eyes. And to think that that whole aspect of the overallness of the situation is not as important or just as dangerous as having a gun pulled on you is working with and interviewing these people that are being trafficked. Those are human capital to those people. Mm-hmm. Those people mean just as much as like the bail of drugs or, you know, anything else that they're doing. And uh, yeah, people- these are, these are people who have no problem with killing over anything that's theirs. Exactly. Right. Shining the light on it does nothing except uh, probably agitate them a whole lot more. And, and some of that work you've done with that is just number one, groundbreaking. Um, and number two, just some of the best that, you know, I've ever seen in all my experience, kind of keeping an eye on the stuff going on down at the border. I mean, Noah and I live in San Diego and regardless, it affects our neighborhoods as well. So yep, yeah, it's something that we've always been a fan of. Uh, last thing I want to touch on you with is like, you know, you mentioned Kenosha, you touched on it briefly last time you were on the show with us, that whole experience, you want to just kind of give us like a recap of what it was like, just like, like you said, you were just a few blocks away from where the uh, incident with Kyle Rittenhouse happened. And then what you think about the whole verdict, like what does it mean for, you know, certain aspects like maybe 2A or the justice system, like actually prevailing in a case where because there was some documented evidence and it was, you know, handled the right way that it was a good for the country. And then at, at the same time, what do you think moving forward we're going to see, uh, you know, is this going to be like something that kind of helps the justice system or, or now or is this going to be used maybe, especially by the left as like a reference point to where they could say like they got it so wrong here. We, you know, they almost condemn people before they go to court moving forward. Yeah, so just to give everyone a you know recap, um, so you know last year in Kenosha, I mean, I mean just last year overall, we you know been covering the rights obviously in every single major city during 2020. Um, but I always say Kenosha was a lot different because you know 
before that, you know, we've been in, in Atlanta, Portland, you know, Los Angeles, New York, Washington, D.C. You know, it, it's it's always been, you know, they've been hitting every single major city, but you never got to see like the small Midwest town kind of get hit with a civil unrest like this. So what, what, what makes Kenosha stand out to me, it was, first of all, it wasn't a major city where this riot happened. It was a small town. So you also have to put in mind that the police department there is not, they can't handle something like this. They don't expect things like this. So um, Kenosha to me almost felt like the closest thing to being almost in a war zone because of just how much control of the town the rioters had. It almost felt like either way that you turn, the building was on fire. It was go, going down. We've been seeing a Department of Corrections building go down. Um, and, you you know, for me, I didn't see almost no law enforcement. I didn't see any National Guard. I didn't see these guys on the ground try to stop the riot. It, it was almost like a free-for-all, extremely chaotic. Um, I get there night two. So night one happens in Kenosha, and I'm watching the live streams in D.C. I get there night two. I cover night two. And... Well, you know, obviously, one of the also the things that stand out is the amount of weapons on the streets. That was also very different. You didn't obviously you don't see those weapons in Portland. You don't see those weapons in D.C. It's not and it's not an open carry state. So you, I didn't really get to see that. I saw a little bit in Seattle, Washington, but Kenosha, we really saw the guns out. So you saw the guns. You saw the rioting. Um, you kind of just saw the madness of this whole town being taken over. And really, like I said, nothing like it. A lot of the apartment buildings there in Kenosha, I think this didn't get talked about enough. A lot of the apartment buildings had to put out signs saying, kids live up here, please do not burn down our building. Like we literally have kids living in these buildings. Um, So we get to night three. It's another hectic night. Um, A lot of obviously civil unrest, still don't see any law enforcement presence, a lot more guns than night two. Um, then the thing what made the, the that night a little little scary was that there was multiple shootings. So it wasn't just the Rittenhouse shooting. There was a couple other shootings. And I remember when Rittenhouse shot, I was about three blocks away. It was so chaotic because by, by the time Rittenhouse shot, it's already been the third shooting of the night. So yeah. things were so chaotic. People, you know, all the news you were hearing was very different because there, there were so many rumors and stories. So I remember Rittenhouse shoots. Someone actually runs up to me and says, go into your hotel room people are doing drive-bys and just shooting into the crowd i was like what so i remember i ran into my hotel i waited about 30 minutes and then um i called my boss which is uh richie mcginnis my video director at daily caller richie mcginnis tells me that he's at the kenosha police department and that he can't talk to me till the morning and little then it doesn't you know i don't find out to the next the next day that my video director was the guy who was directly behind joseph rosenbaum so when joseph rosenbaum got shot in the head my my video director got to see him fall to the ground so i didn't even realize how close my video director was so i mean that whole night was hectic obviously the next morning we get the news and then we get the full story and you know even at that time i didn't really understand all the aspects of what happened in that rittenhouse shooting i didn't even get i didn't kind of grasp all the video evidence that was taken and obviously um, you know, we look at the video, we're like, okay, um, obviously we don't know what, what's going to happen, whether this kid gets arrested or not. All I know is, because for me is, I had my video director was kind of involved, so he's kind of going through this traumatic experience because obviously he was right behind Joseph Rosenbaum when he got right. shot. And my video director, you know, his boss used to be, used to, I mean, his, his dad used to be, uh, he used to work for the ER. So I think what happened is that my boss just went into his, you know, fight or flight mode. And he actually tried to save Joseph Rosenbaum's life. So as soon as Joseph Rosenbaum hit the ground, you know, my boss took off his shirt. 
He tied it around his head. He actually carried him. For folks who don't know, the Kenosha Hospital was actually only a block away, which is kind of crazy stuff. So he carries him. He puts him into this truck. They take him to the to the hospital. Um, Kenosha PD meets my video director there. But before that, my video director actually tells me he goes into the bathroom and he looks at himself. And he basically had Joseph Rosenbaum's blood and some of his like fluids actually on his shoulder. Mm. Um, and then he actually had to go to the Kenosha PD and spend the whole morning there. He gave him his phone for all the video evidence. Um, so that was just insane. And then it was kind of surreal because, you know, as, as a reporter, you're being on the ground. All of a sudden you turn on the news and this Kenosha story is now international news. It's all over the world. It's kind of and, and what, 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 the thing about Kenosha, too, it was kind of the last. I don't know. If one, I don't know if want to call it like hoorah. La- it was that last riot of 2020. It was right in, you know, it was the, the Kenosha was August 25th. And after that, we really actually didn't see any civil unrest. So it kind of was like that last, la- that last riot. And, you know, little did we know that that was going to turn into one of the biggest murder trials in U.S. history. Yes. So obviously we fast forward it a, a year later. I mean, and also during this time, I'm actually, I'm getting some info because since my video director was directly involved, as the months were leading up to the trial, I could actually see the stress on my video director because he has to get an attorney. Um, you know, Kenosha PD and all the lawyers are literally telling him, like, hey, you're going to testify in this trial. You, you have no choice. Um, so I'm actually I'm actually already knowing a lot of this little info um, that was happening. I was I was knowing when the trial was going to happen before the trial. Um, so, I'm, I, you know, I got to actually see my video director get involved and get kind of, got to, you know, get himself prepped. And then obviously then then the trial happens. Um, so you know, obviously you're hearing that corporate, the corporate narrative, but what you heard in the trial was a completely different story. So, you know, just to kind of sum it up, I thought the two, the two biggest moments in the trial that I think changed everything was, uh, Gage Grosskreutz. So Gage Grosskreutz was the guy who gets shot in the arm with a firearm. I thought when Gage took the stand and he admitted on the cross examination that he chased Rittenhouse with the weapon and he pointed the weapon at Rittenhouse before Rittenhouse actually pointed at his, I thought that was a game changer. And then actually I thought my colleague, uh, Richie McGinnis at the Daily Caller, when he testified and said that Joseph Rosenbaum lunged for the weapon, I thought those were the two biggest moments. But then you see all the video evidence um, was amazing. And then, like I said before, guys, I thought the trial highlighted really the importance of frontline journalism and the, the importance of having those guys on the front lines, just telling the story without having that corporate media bias. Because the corporate press was trying to convict this guy in the court of public opinion, um, obviously. And I actually thought, I don't know about you guys, but I actually, I, I thought the jury was going to go not uh, guilty, guilty, not um, because I thought the jury was going to be pressured uh, by the media, but not only that, but by the protesters. And basically how politicized this, this case was, I thought there's no way he's going to get off. Um, obviously, I hear how, you know, hear the, hear the verdict, not guilty. And I was absolutely astonished. I thought it was a huge win, obviously, for self-defense. Yep. Because that was on the line. I think, you know, obviously, if, if it w- goes the other way, um, the argument of self-defense, you almost lose in, in the United States. So I thought it was uh, obviously a historic moment for self-defense. But, I, but if, you know, maybe because of me being in media, I thought it was a bigger, actually bigger case for the frontline journalism because for the, you know, because corporate media, they had millions of dollars backed into this. They still lost. They had Silicon Valley censoring anyone who spoke in positive of Kyle Rittenhouse. They lost and they just lost to seven or eight guys on the ground with nothing but a, literally a cell phone and Twitter accounts. Um, so I thought it was a huge moment for independent media. And I'm, I'm glad that 
I'm glad that the truth came out. And I, I do believe if it wasn't for the frontline journalism, we would have Kyle Rinhouse would be in prison right now. Like, and then, you know, you kind of asked me how this goes going forward. I have no idea. I think every case trial is going to be a little bit different, obviously. But all I could say is I'm really hoping to um, that, you know, going forward that we have those frontline reports on the ground, because if we have those guys on the ground documenting the real story, um, full scope with video evidence, um, that will help at least help out the truth. Whether you agree with the truth or not, we, we could, you know, I want that video evidence out there. So I think without that video evidence, um, corporate press is always going to control the narrative. So I thought the Rittenhouse trial really highlighted the importance of frontline journalism. Yeah. yeah. If corporate media was the only people that had the footage of the incident, then it would have been, des- uh, you know, disseminated in ways that would have helped whatever their agenda was. So you guys having the just on the ground look at it is just so huge for just legal battles and just evident evidentiary hearings in general. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, the corporate press, you know, they, they, for so long, they had this kind of monopoly on information and power and, you know, the times have changed with social media, with independent journalism, with this, um, you know, I was, I was speaking to uh, Eric Bolden on Newsmax. He called mm-hmm. it this new run and gun style of journalism and, you know, corporate media is so bad at what they're doing that it's creating this kind of space where guys like me could fill in. You know, I'm a, I'm a kid that just went to community college and I ended up dropping out during my journalism major. And, you know, they're getting beat by guys like us all of a sudden with, like I said, nothing but a cell phone. Well, I'm not even talking about a fancy camera or anything. We're talking about, you know, a cell phone and a $25, you know, selfie stick from Amazon. Uh, they're literally losing to guys like that. So if corporate press want to continue lying to people, they're, they're not only going to continue losing to guys like us, but you could even look at their ratings. Their ratings are, I mean, the most, the lowest that they've ever been. Ever. Um, if you turn on CNN and MSNBC and all those guys, they can't stop talking about January 6th. They have to hang on to 1-6 because without 1-6, they can't control, to, they can't have that fear mongery that they, that they need for their audience. Um, so they're losing all sides. So if they want to continue lying to people, then, Hey, power to them because it's going to continue to give guys like me an opportunity to rise in this new game. Yeah. yeah, and that's definitely something that I don't think enough people think about. We've had people on our show before, you know, who either are affiliated with the media or their personalities and, you know, the United States influencers and stuff like that that said, we need to start realizing, like, you can go and look at the receipts on Facebook. More people tune into and download our shows. They watch your documentaries and see your, you know, on-the-ground reporting than actually go and watch – the president of the United States do anything, you know, he'll have, exactly. he'll have a couple hundred thumbs up on, on, you know, signing a major, whether it's the build back crappier deal or scaring everybody about COVID, you know, of course there'll be half a million thumbs downs, but there'll only be like 896 likes. And, you know, we crush that number every week and you crush it even more than uh, they do. And I think that goes into a lot of the whole narrative that is with you. Not only are you one of the most fearless correspondents in the world, I don't know if it's by choice or not. You just seem to always be like right there, you know, you know, throw on the camera and 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 take a flight or drive on down to wherever, you know, stuff's getting really hot and and you just throw yourself right in the mix. I think that goes a lot to your credit. And and I can tell you what, it's already paid off big time, not just in the in the journalism and real news that you're bringing to the people in the United States and across the world, but eventually it's going to lead to some even bigger and better things. I think for you moving forward and I'm really glad that we connected and you know, you're a great friend of the show and we'll have you on anytime because you do it the right way and you're honest and we really appreciate it. And so does our listenership. Yeah. No, I appreciate you guys, man, for, for having me on. And um, you look, I would just encourage the audience if they can help out, help out any way you got to watch the documentary. 
Um, it's at it, uh, we create our own website for it, so we're not even counting on YouTube and shadow ban and censorship. So it's it's on the cartel doc uh, dot com. So it's the word cartel d o c uh, uh, dot dot com cartel doc dot com. Go there, watch it. Um, the trailer is also on the website. So if you want to just watch the trailer and then send it to family and friends so they can kind of get a quick synopsis of it, check it out, share it. Um, you know, we, we need the people to get it out there because we are we have to be our, our own algorithm nowadays because of the yeah. powers of, of, of big tech. So get it out there. Get this info out there. Um, and, you know, you know, really enjoying how, you know, we're, we're like I said, I'm really grateful just for the audience because they've been taking uh, they've been supporting this really big time when it comes to this frontline stuff. You could tell that the American people, whether on the left and the right, they're actually really hungry for real yep. frontline news. They're done with these talking heads behind a news desk who who are not even on the field telling you um, the story. We got a lot more investigations com- coming up. We'll be headed to Shasta County pretty soon up in NorCal and, and checking out their situation because they got, according to a DA agent, I spoke, they got 7,000 illegal marijuana operations out there. The homicide rate is through the roof. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back on the ground. We'll be back at the border pretty soon as well. And you'll be right back in the throngs of danger, which is where you seem to operate at your best, sir. Um, Before we let you go today, in addition to, we will live link that documentary. I'll make sure I get the trailer up on all of our social medias today, Instagram and Twitter. Can you tell our listening audience where if they're not already following you, they could follow you on social medias? Yeah, so so the two best spots, um, the first one is, is Twitter. So if you just type in on Twitter, guys, um jorge ventura media or just jorge ventura i should pop up follow me there because that's where we you know on twitter we we do the real life breaking news follow me on instagram as well we're posting all of our full stories and news on instagram as well so that one is going to be my first and last name so it's jorge ventura and just just tv at the end um you know check us out i think a lot of people love to see what what we're doing and you know you can click that link in my bio you, you know, the, the cartel would actually the, the documentary is going to be on that link as well. So you click that link in my Instagram bio. You can find the documentary for folks who like to support. You know, we got the PayPal Venmo's there to, to support the frontline work. You can even sign up on Patreon three bucks a month. So lower than a price of coffee. Um, you can support us out on the field. Keep us not tied to any corporate funding. And yeah, it's going to be a lot of great stuff. Um, like I said, we will be going up to Shasta County, doing more investigations on drug cartels and their impact on California. We'll be back at the border. And uh, yeah, we've got just a lot of stuff coming up just because we are living in some crazy times right now in the news. Yeah, we certainly are. And Jorge, we'll for sure be inviting you back after the new year to get an update. Maybe when you're done with this next documentary, come on, you can talk about that and whatever else is going on in the news that you decide to throw yourself in the middle of between now and then. Perfect. Hey, thank you guys so much, guys. It, w- it was a blast. And I, I got to come to San Diego soon and have a beer with you guys. Hey, we're always down. Uh, Cash Patel's coming. If you want, we'll give you a little inside scoop. You can give him a, maybe some interview. We'll go to the Del Mar uh, racetrack. He's, he said his best friend owns it. No, not the racetrack. The like country club. Country club, yeah. Country club. Even, well, even fancier. Yeah. And, even better, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go have some drinks. We'll just say you're uh, the fourth member of our podcast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, Jorge Ventura. One of the best reporters out there, The Daily Caller. Check out the documentary on carteltalk.com. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Hey, thanks, guys. Joining us next on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, she's an American athlete and quite the influencer, and it's been a pleasure getting to know her. Jesse Strahem, thank you for joining us today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm oh, stoked to be here. It's our pleasure and almost a little refreshing to jump out of politics and the news, which were so heavily rooted in and, you know, kind of get into what I might call just like, it's a feel great story. Yeah. Um, you have a 
your road to where you're at right now kind of centers around being an athlete, but there's a little bit of a different narrative to it. Why don't you tell us a little bit of your backstory before we get into it with you? So I am a paraplegic from a motorcycle accident. So a woman made a U-turn into the bike I was a passenger on and the driver didn't stop in time. So he went through her back window, breaking his leg, having to have surgery. I went over this woman's SUV, broke my back in two places, chest completely collapsed, ribs punctured my lungs, nicked my spinal cord. I have a traumatic brain injury and I coded twice and had to be resuscitated. So to say that I'm blessed to still be here is definitely an understatement. Jeez. Yeah. Oh my word. I'd have to say that's... And that one hits home for me because I've actually gotten hit twice on a motorcycle and I don't know what happened some spider-man shit i managed to <laughs> yeah. luck out my wrist always bothers me but that's about it now yeah. i have a question when you were in your accident did you uh lose your shoes because i'm told that everyone that gets in a motorcycle accident loses their shoes no neither oh, neither time what first time i was knocked <laughs> off the bike by a car that was changing lanes next to me and the second time was a vehicle turned in front of me when i was on my way to the bar i worked at downtown and I blasted the side of that if that uh, Silverado. Nice, <laughs> Jesse. How long ago did this happen? Um, it will be seven years in January of 2022. So January 2015. It was. I live in North Carolina, so it was a 60 degree, beautiful winter day, and I'm like, ah, oh, what better thing to do than go ride the bike? And so we go out. And it was the same road we had taken numerous times. Um, it takes you straight into Charlotte, and we left a traffic light. I saw this woman coming. She just never was, she never even slowed down and um, he never slowed down. So the last thing I remember is metal crunching. And then I woke up about a week later in the hospital. Jeez. Wow. And, and this has really uh, obviously changed everything about your life. Now, when talking about being an athlete, how have things changed and, and what are you doing now? I'm definitely more of an athlete now than I ever was before I was paralyzed. I never took fitness or nutrition seriously. Um, love junk food, love to eat like trash, love to just lay around, not do anything. That's me right and now. And I, right. <laughs> hey, that's most of America. Shoot. And, um, you know, I, I decided after I got paralyzed, I gained 30 pounds quickly, like in my first year. So I was 160 pounds at my heaviest and, I just kind of had this moment where I realized that binge drinking every night wasn't going to change what happened to me. Eating that, that next piece of cheesecake wasn't going to change what happened to me. Um, laying around definitely wasn't going to change what happened to me. So I had a choice and it was either I get up off my ass and, and start working out and start going towards it. Or I continue to be miserable in my own reality. And I think that's what it comes down to. And what a lot of people forget is that we have choices in life. And I chose to, to go ahead and, and make the best of, of a less than ideal situation. Would I ever choose to be a paraplegic? Absolutely not. But I mean, there's not a day that goes by I would ever undo it. I'm so grateful for the perspective that this injury has given me, the experiences, the people, my faith. I mean, it's given me far more than it's taken away. And I definitely, my glass is over half full than it ever. It's never been half empty. That's for sure. Nice. Same. You're so inspiring. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where I guess unless you kind of go through it and hear the stories about it, you know, like on our end, it's not something that we can even 
try to process our brains around how much your life has changed. And, well, it's and one of those things people don't understand how quickly everything you have can be taken away from you, whether it's your health, like so, your okay. safety, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing that a lot of people don't realize is like we get caught up in, in such trivial bullshit. Like I, I'm very controversial with my words because I don't sugarcoat anything. I'm all about the truth. And it's like, this is where we're at. And a lot of people love to get their feelings hurt over words. And it's like, yo, someone could come out and hurt you. You could literally lose everything tomorrow. And the first thing people see about me is my wheelchair and that I can't walk. And they're like, oh, I hope you walk again. I'm like, damn, you know what I would give just to, to take a poop on my own again, to be able to pee on my own, to not, not have to use catheters. Like there's so much more to life than that external appearance that we look at. And my injury is just a perfect example of that because people always see the external and they don't see the other internal things going on with it. And, you know, my favorite comment is that like kind of what you guys just said of like, people don't know how they would live and move on through this situation. And it's like, what choice do you have? These things happen to you. And you truly, with anything in life, whether it's a divorce, loss of a loved one, traumatic injury, a traumatic anything, when things happen in life, you have a choice. You can allow it to make you stronger or you can allow it to make you weaker. And regardless of what choice you choose, like it's going to be hard. Every path you choose in life is hard. It's just, are you going to choose the fulfilling hard or the victim in your own reality hard? And I, I did, I chose that victim in my own reality. I did make that choice early on in my injury. And I realized about a year, a year and a half in that that choice was just miserable. So I'm like, Ooh, let's go the other path and see what that has to offer. And it hasn't been an easy road. There's been a lot of tears. I'd be lying if I said that I didn't get upset, but I really choose to be happy every day, regardless of what happens. I realize that I can't control what happens to me, but I can control my attitude towards it and I can control how I move forward from it. And so I made the choice to just be like, whatever it happened and then use it to help others in my situation, find their independence, to find my purpose, to find my health and wellness. And I think too many people get caught up in their trauma and these things that's happened to them that they don't allow themselves to move on from it. So it's always, this happened to me, this is who I am. And that's what they now define themselves as. Yeah. And that's, that's a really important point. And that's something I want to touch on a little bit more. You know, you, you talked about being there and, and helping people get through some of this trauma and, and life-changing events and stuff in regards to what you're doing now. Um, how on like a daily basis are you kind of like injecting yourself into other people's lives that are maybe affected by maybe not necessarily the same things you are, but, but things similar. And how are you helping them from your experiences kind of getting over this whole mentality of like, whether it be victim or depression or, you know, how it's affecting them based off your experiences is kind of getting, if not probably over it, cause I don't think you ever get over it, but, but through it a little bit better and more manageable. Um, you know, from a personal standpoint, I really focus on everything that I have, what I have to be grateful for and, and just I, the gratitude piece, right? Like yesterday was Thanksgiving here in America and a lot of people just spent yesterday being thankful. Like I have that energy every single day. So then I get to peer mentor newly injured individuals mm. and I do that both virtually and in person. 
And I get to share that perspective with them. And it's been so beautiful to see the individuals I've touched go out and they get out of rehab and they literally bypass that whole entire morning stage that I was in. And they just realize, you know, it is what it is. And like, I'm not, they do have their moments, but they still go out and attack life. And I think that's what we do as human beings is we give people the tools to get through their hardship. That's what we are supposed to do. Forget disability, forget anything. Like we all have struggles as a person to person and we're here to uplift one another. And so that's one thing I get to do. I have a nonprofit called Wheel With Me Foundation and I have a team of wheelchair users that help me run that. And we host empowerment weeks for wheelchair users to give them tools that they can go out and apply to real life. So our last one had how to be an advocate, how to get a job, um, mental growth, how to do an at-home workout. So it's giving people tools that they can apply in their day-to-day to go ahead and go out and be productive, contributing members of community, because that's really what it comes down to. And being, you know, being an American, you guys touched on it earlier. I love being American. I think we're very privileged here. Um, we have so many rights and freedoms that a lot of other countries don't have. And then being a disabled American, the government gives me a wheelchair every five years. Mm-hmm. Like in other countries, we th- there's people that are stuck in bed. There's an individual in Nigeria who was injured the same year I was and still doesn't have a wheelchair because his family doesn't have the means to get him one. He's still stuck in bed. And Americans are talking all the time about how bad they have it and we need more and there should be more benefits for us. And it's like, stop, go out and get that your damn self. Like we actually get a lot. And it's really frustrating because just because we're disabled doesn't mean that we shouldn't have to work for what we get in life. And that was kind of my mindset in the beginning was like, I deserve this because I'm a wheelchair user. I deserve this because I'm disabled and I went through this. And then I realized I don't deserve shit. I didn't do anything to deserve any of this. It's, it's my work ethic that's going to get me the results that, I, that I'm trying to get after. It's, it's me working towards these things that's going to get me the result that I would I want and nobody is going to hand me anything and when I realized that that's when life started opening up for me that's when I found my purpose that's when I found my happiness and that's when I realized I can live life as a wheelchair user and live a fulfilled happy life regardless of what society tells me I should or shouldn't do yeah that's a that's that's just really inspirational to hear and uh an amazing way to look at things because I'm, I'm sure, like you said, there's been a lot of like sadness and tears and and things that you wish you could do. But at the end of the day, you came to the realization within yourself that, you know, if, if any of those things were going to change or if you were going to kind of normalize the situation to where you want it to be, it was going to be you and you alone that was going to go out and just crush this and, and do it in the way you have. I, I think one of the big things that I know a lot of our listening audience is not going to know about is one of the events that you just participated in. I followed you in it. I believe it was a couple weeks ago. It's an event that I couldn't do. I would maybe bet money on Noah, but he'd have to train a little bit because he's in way better shape than I am. There are a lot of people who have had no injuries that go in at the peak of pinnacle, like fit performance, go into this event and you went and participated in it and crushed it. Why don't you tell us about that? So I just uh, partook in my third world's toughest mutter, which is a 24 hour obstacle course race. So it's 24 hours of doing a tough mutter nonstop. Um, No, we don't sleep. We do snack throughout the 24 hours. We, uh, we go to our pit. Um, 
every year I've, I've kind of set out for a goal of 25 miles, never was able to achieve it. And this year I, I raised the money to sign up because the ticket is not cheap. And I got this team together and a month before the team fell apart. And so I was going into Worlds with just myself and one other individual, yep. um, T, which T's done it with me before. So we were ready. And it was like, all right, we're sending it. You're going to pull the chair. We'll figure it out. Um, and then I actually recruited two other people the week of, um, one of which has done most of the OCRs I've done with me. The other, it was his first time even doing an OCR. And he's like, oh, I'm going to do Worlds Toughest Mudder, which OCR is an obstacle course race. Um so essentially what you do, it's a five-mile course. You make laps as many as you can in the 24 hours. And uh, we made five laps to get 25 miles, which was our Crazy. goal. We set out and we achieved it. That's fucking wild. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Wow. It was intense. And it's honestly such a, like, a mental growth thing. And, you know, people tell me I'm, I'm narcissistic for saying that I inspire me. But, damn it, I inspire the hell out of myself because I'm doing things now that able-bodied me would have never tried to do. Um, and I think there's so much power in that of how much this injury has allowed me to live life rather than just exist in life the way I was. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I was getting like, I was watching your Instagram stories that day and seeing you completely filthy and finally hitting your marks. I was getting a little teary. eyed watching a couple of them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's part of like the dad in me almost like being able to like root for someone who's like just doing something that, you know, maybe they didn't think they could do. And, and probably a lot of people on the outside just thought like 25 miles, never going to happen. You know, it's one of those things where probably do a nice showing and it's, it's a good feel good event. But like you said, you're, you're hardest on yourself and, and getting over that mark has to be something that was just absolutely incredible. Um, it was, it was unreal. And now it's really fun because my team's ready for next year. And um, they're, they're like, we're going to go for 50 miles, which was initially what I really wanted to get the first time I went out. And I was nowhere near in the physical or mental shape. And that's the thing, you know, people focus so much on getting in mental shape, but mm -hmm. what about your, or your physical shape, but what about your mental shape? You know, like work out your brain. I, I read every day. I do things, do things to help to eat help. it. I try to learn something new every day. And I think that that's powerful in itself because the more you work out your brain, the stronger you become as an individual to begin with, the more your confidence raises, the more that you can serve and help other people, which again, that's what humans are here for. We're here to help one another in this, this current climate that we're in where everybody's against everybody and everybody's at each other's throat. It's so frustrating. And I think one of the most beautiful things about World's Toughest Mudder was for 24 hours straight, our gender, our race, our political, our political affiliation, none of it mattered. All that mattered was that we each got through this course together yeah it's it's just something that was incredible to watch and and like i said beyond putting the label of like a feel-good segment on it are you right now doing any like public speaking events i know you you have the the foundation i believe you said what was it wheel with me yeah wheel with me are, like, are, are i you, want y'all to wheel with me are, <laughs> are, are you going out and like talking to people like i don't think what you've gone through and your injury and the way your life has changed limits you to only talking to like a certain demographic. I, I think that like you have a voice overallly that probably would identify with just about anybody who's going through kind of anything that they're having a hard time dealing with right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently booking for quarter one. Um, I do speak at corporations. I do a lot of national sales meetings. Um, because I, I believe in the power of unity yeah. and that's something that is, is really lost right now. We need to collaborate rather than compete. There's so many of us 
out trying to serve the same agendas. And it's like, hey, if we work together, we'll definitely get a lot further in that. And I'm all about just being together, human helping human and, and bringing back that that aspect of person to person rather than screen to screen type of thing. I think we might have to float Miss Straham to uh, Clay Clark when he comes out next yeah, year. Yeah, 100%. So he goes around doing like a national patriotic tour all over the country. And I mean, there's people, I would say they kind of might identify maybe in the genre of you, but like you, I, I don't think so yet. I think you're one of those diamonds in the rough that a lot of people haven't found yet. And, and once they start hearing not only how your story is and, and, and what you've done to, you know, retake control of your life, um, but how now you're you're directly impacting others who are going through stuff that I think uh, might might need to get out there on a little bit more consistent basis. Yeah, that's that's the push for 2022. With um, I started acting about two years ago, oh, nice. and so that's really been taking off as well. I feel like it's like I'm at this point in my life where all the seeds I've been planting over the years are starting to to harvest. It's like almost harvest season on them. And I think that that is, um, that's a powerful thing in itself as well. Too many of us expect that instant result and that instant gratification right away. And we don't want to put that hard work in to get to where we want to be. And we don't realize that that time is going to be what allows things to germinate for us and really grow and flourish into what they're meant to be. So I'm, I'm here for the game of patience. I, I just continue to put out content and continue to reach out to people and let them know that I am speaking and I'm here for them. And like, I would love to share my message and help your team grow and set better goals. But when it happens, it happens, you know? <laughs> no, that's, that's 100% true. I mean, we're going to have Ian Smith on today uh, a little bit later as well. Oh my yeah. You let him know I said hello. That's my guy. <laughs> you guys talk? Oh, yeah, yeah. I went to the um, the Veterans Outreach Workout that at his gym back in August. Such Perfect. a cool event to be a part of. Um, he's doing such great things, and we, we share that very similar mindset of yes. like, hey, you know, take care of your health and wellness. Like, that's kind of kind of the important way to live life. And like, I love, I love that his gym has not had one case out of it. Right. And I'm like, mic drop. Like he doesn't even have to say anything. <laughs> no, he doesn't. I, I would, I would say if there is probably someone who reminds me of Ian, albeit less beardly, it would have to probably <laughs> be you. And, and I think like you just said, it's that same uh, mindset that you guys bring to the game. Like yesterday, everybody's like posting, like, enjoy your families, you know, happy Thanksgiving. Like, crush it at the dinner table and Ian Smith's like, this is a post for all the influencers out there who are saying, eat whatever you want on Thanksgiving. And it's yes. just kind of like one of those mic drop things. Like I'm pretty <laughs> sure he ate like a couple pieces of Turkey and a protein bar yesterday. Probably wasn't that's, happy, um, but that's just him. A lot of us macro track. And so I, I macro track as well. And don't get me wrong. I did have seconds, but like I planned in my macros and I timed my meals to be able to make that work. And I didn't go I didn't over go. my macros yesterday, which is huge. So macros are your protein, carbs, and fats. And that that's what I typically I do like for a living is I coach people on tracking macros. Um, and it's beautiful because it, I have so many people that all they did was dial in their nutrition and they were able to lose weight. And it's like, oh, I was overeating on carbs and fats and undereating on protein. Like people don't realize the power of food in our health and wellness. They put all of their faith into man-made medicine when literally all they need is proper nutrition, some movement, take care of your body and the rest will come. Like 
you know why I have a little bit of a bug? Because I ran myself into the ground. I didn't get adequate sleep. I wasn't drinking proper water. I was out of my element, my routine. And guess what happened? This. It happens, it happens every time. And I feel like people don't realize the power of their habits and having healthy habits. And, and health doesn't have to be a bad word the way it's being made into. I am so sick of health being so demonized and body positivity being elevated in the name of eating like crap and over drinking and overeating and over no stimulation as far as physically, but you'll look at a screen all day. If people got off their butt and watched what they put in their mouth, drank proper water, chilled on the alcohol intake and fast food, we would have a healthier America, but there's a reason that majority of our population is overweight and obese. That's, a, that's extremely good and valid points that you point out. There are things that Ian has talked about. Well, you on can't the show. sell medicine to healthy people. And, and there's a big component of it right, <laughs> right there as well. Um, and, and I do think that that definitely goes into the equation. Jesse, this has been awesome, and you are definitely someone we are going to continue to track. I, I hope you and I continue to stay friendly on social medias and continue to talk as I, you know, watch all the great things you're doing. And, and I'm going to say it out in advance. We'd love to have you back at some point and get an update, depending on some of the stuff you're working on next year. Um, why don't you tell all of our listenership where they could follow you if they're not already on social medias? And if you want to put out any of the organizations or anything like that, just send it to me in the DMs, and we'll live link everything in our show description today. Perfect. I'll get all that to you. Um, first and foremost, y'all follow Wheel With Me Foundation at Wheel With Me, W-H-E-E-L, With Me. Um, please follow us. Give us some love. We, we really want to be able to serve the community. And if you can volunteer your time, we love that as well. If you can't donate, volunteer your time. We will gladly take that. Um, and then for me, it's just at Jesse Strawham. That's J-E-S-I-S-T-R-A-C-H-A-M on all platforms. If y'all follow my YouTube, starting this Monday, every Monday there will be a motivational message kind of released to you to remind you to get over your own bullshit and start living your life to the fullest. We love it. We nice. absolutely love it. And we loved having you on today. Miss Jesse Straham, thank you for joining us on Steak for Breakfast. Thank you guys for having me. Joining us now on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, he is co-owner of the Attilus Gym and probably one of the most beardliest specimens I've ever seen on planet earth. The one and only Mr. Ian Smith. Thanks for joining us again on steak for breakfast. Absolutely. Always happy to come on. How are you guys? We're doing great. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Hope it was well. Yes. Just, um, just celebrating on Concord lands, you know, just, just regular family stuff. That's <laughs> perfect. Um, I know, uh, you know, we, we just had one of your friends on. She was our last guest, and, and she spoke extremely highly of you, Jesse uh, Straham. And uh, it was the first time yes. we had her on the show. Jesse's awesome. She is awesome. And she said the, the great things about you. And, and listen, she was like a – I don't know how much you guys have worked together and how much you guys have bounced ideas off of each other, but she is a less beardly Ian. She really isn't, but she's her very own Jesse, and she's absolutely crushing it. We loved having her on, and, and we're definitely going to be having her back again. Yeah, it's um, most of most of the people that are affiliated. You know, I know Jesse through through being a first form athlete, um, and and she's one as well. And she's she's an impressive specimen as far as uh, showing what people are capable of. Um, you know, when they're when they're determined. And uh, but most most of the people at first form fall pretty pretty. Uh, in line with with each other's thought processes you know so it, it's 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 always a pleasure being involved with them because there's there's people like us all throughout that company and and we're all from different walks of life and it's it's uh it's awesome seeing it 
Yeah, it definitely is. And and like I said, we'll, we'll definitely be having her back. But let's jump into things going on with you. Um, why don't you give us an update on the gym and some of the legal stuff that's going on in New Jersey right now? All right. Um, so we are in four different courts right now. Hmm. Um, we have an appeals process at the state level. Um, that was where most of our trouble came from. For people that have been following the story, that was the $15,000 a day fine. That was the contempt of court. That was the uh, the seizure of assets. Um, that was the arrests. All of those things stemmed from uh, a judge named Judge Robert Lugi, who was is and will always be a hack of a judge. Um, so we're now, we, we've run out of road in that court. Um, that was where we took pretty much all of our losses. Um, that was really the only court that we were allowed to be in. Everything else was delayed, delayed, delayed. So now we're in the appeals process for that. Uh, they're currently trying to take more money. They wound up piercing our LLC and holding Frank and I personally liable for the um, hundreds of thousands and then possibly millions of dollars on the back end Oof. of fines. Uh, so we're in that process of appealing. They still take money from us. Uh, we operate the same way that we've always done since they started taking our money. We pay our bills far in advance. As soon as we get any money, we don't keep that lot of money in our bank accounts. Um, and we just keep rolling with that. So appeals process is in uh, 30 days for this, 30 days for that kind of puts us somewhere in the new year. Yep. Um, the courts move incredibly slow when mm -hmm. they want to. Um, so there's that that's been filed. We have a, um, a lawsuit against the township of Belmar at the municipal level where they took our business license back in August of last year. Uh, with pretty much no due process, they held this really lame, uh, they called it a low-level administrative hearing. And uh, basically what they did was, it was a dog and pony show, they were going to take our license anyway, they said we were a danger to the public, and they took it. Um, you can't do that without due process, right. it, it's a legal process that you have to follow, um, and if it's a legal process, there has to be certain standards set, uh, sworn testimony, cross-examination, uh, discovery, things like that. So um, due process claims for that. We had our arguments heard. Uh, we put in our uh, written final arguments. The pro or the the defendants, the township, put in there. So now we're waiting on a response from the judge. Probably late December, early January. Um, if she follows the law, we should have our business license back. But um, no guarantees. You know, we this is a new judge, so we're just going to have to see. Um, unfortunately, that's a, a determining factor. In, in the court systems, it's not what is right and what is wrong. It's are people uh, a part of the, the broken system or right. or are they, you know, are they still a, an honorable judge? Yeah. And that's not so what we'll see about that one. They shouldn't be yeah, and it's, having an opinion. They should be going on evidence and fact. Right? No, not at all. And, and, you know, we run into a lot of problems here in New Jersey because a lot of our judges are appointed. Um, yep. and that just doesn't, that doesn't work when they don't have to answer to the public. So we'll see how that one goes. Um, if we don't get the answer we want, we continue on. Um, if we do get the answer we want, that's a huge victory for us. Uh, being that we haven't charged any of our members or guests since the original shutdown order, uh, in April of 2020, you know, we, we, we do all right. We pay the bills, but it would be nice to operate like a normal business. Um, in addition to that, we're being heard uh, in criminal court. Judge, um, There's a judge named Judge Blue who is hearing seven criminal contempt of court um, charges for us. Frank and I decided that we were going to um, possibly take a, a plea offer for that. Um, the charge is contempt of court. Hmm. So 
we are in contempt of court. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's one of these things where, yeah, we're guilty. You know, like one of the charges is taking the doors off of the hinges um, when we did that. And uh, well, we did that. So, you know, we're not going to deny that. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. We, we have um, possible sentencing in January, depending on how things go. Um, it's kind of a sticky situation, but, um, because those charges do cover or they do have jail time or can possibly have jail time. But um, in this big battle, we kind of have to pick and choose where we spend our money um, and where we where we fight our fights. Um, so that's that's a sticky situation that we're trying to navigate now. And then finally, we have the good news. Um, we are finally being heard on the municipal charges that started all of this. Right. Um, so the first week, first month, two months, three months, we were getting municipal, you know, citations, um, and they built up and built up and built up, and that's what um, became our problem. They they took all of those charges with the executive order that Governor Murphy wrote with the health department shutdown, and they went to Judge Robert Lugie and said, "We need you to uh, to put a court order in," you know, and that's that's when we were able to be punished because we weren't breaking any laws. But when the judge came in and said, "Hey, you now have a court order," um, now we were disobeying a judge, so. All of all of what the state has done to us is built upon these municipal charges, and they've just kicked them down the road uh, using COVID as this never-ending excuse. Mm -hmm. Finally, we wound up in a court uh, in a, uh, a municipality close by because we can't be in the one that we're in, being that we have a lawsuit against them. And the judge that we are appearing in front of is by far the most normal, rational and regular human being I have come across in government in, in two years, if not my entire life. That's great um, to hear. She, yeah. It, I mean, it was the, the, the whole, we've only been there twice. It's just started. You no. Know, um, but it was our first in-person hearing this whole time. Uh, you know, and we were, we were prepared for war going in there. You know, we were walking in without masks and um, she didn't care. Um, she's a, good a generally happy person. Yeah. That was a good sign. She's a generally just like happy person. You know, we're in municipal court, so we're listening to like DUIs and traffic tickets. Right. And she's just being, she's just nice to everybody. Um, just a woman doing her job. And we, uh, we, we had two appearances and they're kind of figuring out what they want to do with the case. Um, long story short, the prosecutor who now is in charge of it, it, this isn't his case. It didn't start in his case. He has no vested interest in it. He really doesn't want to be bothered with it. You can tell by the things that he says and the way that he's carrying himself. Um, and the judge has, has basically said, she'll, she'll hear it. You know, if the mm. state wants to try it, um, or if he has, he has to try it in some capacity, but there doesn't look like a lot of enthusiasm on his part. And there looks like a lot of understanding on her part. We were, we were discussing all of the things that we would bring up because what's, what has been the, uh, the hardest part about what we've been doing is we've been stuck in this one court yeah. and the court, the court is about contempt of court. So we're not able to argue outside of that spectrum of that contempt of court order. And, and they're limiting our ability to bring constitutional violations up. So now we're being heard in a court where the judge says, bring me all your arguments um, and has recognized them all as valid concerns and um, has nodded in agreement on, on quite a few of them and has questioned what the state did. So that is uh, the light that is still probably pretty far down the tunnel, but it is, it is the first light we've seen. You know, we, we left that first hearing and, and it felt like we had a win, but what it really was, was not a loss. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, 
that's really, really promising. And that's, that's what we knew would eventually come. You know, it was just a matter of, can you hang on long enough and can you stay open long enough and can you be defiant long enough that you make it to that, you know, that, that courtroom that is going to give you just a fair shot. Yep. It, you know, it's not even, a, not even about a proper ruling. It's just, you know, this woman, she, she's actually a registered Democrat. Um, but she's just, she's just a, a woman doing her job and, and, and doing her job honestly, which mm-hmm. you don't see a lot in politics anymore. No. Um, so a major breath of fresh air and that's, that's kind of what we've been hoping for. So good news on the horizon. And it, it gives us kind of that, uh, taking losses in court for, you know, 18 months Oof. is exhausting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so just walking in and not losing, um, felt like we had just won a title fight. You yeah. know what I mean? So are you, are you going um, we're, to, we're pretty stoked about that. Are you going to upgrade your uh, court attire to maybe a t-shirt and a tie? <laughs> not happening right shorts and workout gear <laughs> I love it. maybe some you know, dress I, shoes I, yeah maybe i'll just tone it down with like the attila's you know fuck the government gear there you go, there wear, you like, go. A plain colored shirt um <laughs> but no it's you know that was that was huge for us and that happened just about a month ago uh, and it's just you know it's 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 what we've been waiting for you yeah. know because you want to have faith in the american system i i still truly believe that this is the greatest country on earth. And I believe that the, the system as it is supposed to operate is a, is a beautifully crafted one by our founding forefathers. And, you know, if we can just get back to that and, and start to dismantle all of the extra stuff that we've mm-hmm. accumulated through the years, like, you know, we just might be all right because yeah. when you put people like her in the positions to serve the public and they actually do their job, it works pretty well. Yeah. I think that semblance of normalcy was probably very refreshing. Now, now I've done some of my research. So, business license stripped, gym still full go open, and all the way up through yesterday, which was Thanksgiving, you guys still have massive amounts of people coming in there every day, right? Working out and crushing it. I wish I was closer. Oh yeah, we uh, yesterday we were open. We're open every uh, 365 days a year, yeah. um, and on holidays we do 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. Nice. And we did 400 and. 25 people yesterday in that time, awesome. which is uh, like a, a person every minute. Yeah. Frank, Frank's the numbers guy. It's like a minute, minute and 20 seconds. Uh, a person was walking through the door all day, you know, so we still, we still do good numbers. Um, we actually just passed the 300,000 visit mark. Wow. We are officially at about 305,000 visits. Um, we still have our, our contact tracing system in place, even though it's, you know, it's BS you know, and, and nobody will ever come look at it, but we put it there because, you know, we, we knew that they were going to find anything to come and say, you know, you guys had a COVID outbreak. Um, so we got 300 and still zero, 305, still zero, 305,000 <laughs> slips of paper and zero, zero outbreaks linked to our facility. You know, I, I really wish somebody would come look at all this stuff. Cause we have a storage unit that we actually pay for. <laughs> Uh, to store it all, <laughs> and I have to I have to lug Rubbermaid tubs oh, there you go. of of you know of of stacks of paper you know every every couple of weeks or so. But um, no, you know people people still support us um, in the community. People stop by every day in town, you know, and uh, the gym stays open no matter what. It's uh, we call it a rec center right now until we actually charge members. Oh, there you go. That's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Ian, one thing I want to ask you about, you know, you have some. I think some of my favorite, obviously you crushing in the gym is pretty awesome to look at, but when you're on tour um, and you've been going around the country at these events, 
especially with the Reawaken America tour, and you take those on stage like panoramics where you're swinging the phone around, and there are so many thousands of people there. Tell us about that experience. How's the tour been treating you, and uh, how exciting has it been to be a part of that whole thing? Man, it's it's awesome. You know, the the funny story with uh, the Reawaken tour and, and speaking in general is, you know, after um, after the uh, the infamous insurrection, I think uh, <laughs> mm. I think I think all of us. Um, all 81 million or whatever of us were kind of just like, like we had the wind knocked out of us and we were just kind of didn't know what, what to do or like what, what the hell had just happened. Um, and, uh, you know, I had done Clay's podcast just kind of randomly because I, I try to say yes to as many opportunities to, to talk to people as I can. And Clay was calling me about this, uh, you know, this conference he was having in Oklahoma. And, you know, I just remember at the time I was just like, I was just annoyed with everybody and everything. And, you know, this guy that I I didn't really know was, you know, just like, just every day, you know, come on, come on out, come on out. And, you know, I remember like messaging back the one time and being like, dude, like I am, I am fighting for my life here with my business partner. Like I can't just come take a trip to Oklahoma. Like, you know, I, like I, I can't, you know, I, I just, and he was like, you know, let it go. And, and I just remember there was, there was something he had said where I just thought about it and I'm like, let me go, let me go see what this is about. And I remember walking into that first one, you know, pulling up at that mega church that, you know, they're always at these, these just big, big community churches. Um, and just seeing thousands and thousands of people and just feeling like somebody put a brand new battery in my back. Um, like it was so invigorating. Um, cause you don't see that, you know, you don't see it and you don't hear it. Um, in in life because it's just uh, that's just the way it works i guess you know and it was uh it was such an experience the first one you know i i I remember specifically there i i just came to speak i didn't really uh have a plan um and and clay pulled me up on stage after i spoke and you know he said something to the crowd he said you know um they they had taken that money um you know and he said wouldn't it be nice if we all uh, bought a gym membership right now. And the amount of generosity, um, was just incredible. And, you know, that kicked it off and I I go to everyone now and I go and I speak and, you know, everybody who goes there, uh, and to all these conferences, you know, there's, they're popping up all over the place. I kind of call them like the MAGA rally 2.0s. Um, you know, it's like an evolved version of a Trump rally where now it's become educational you know, you're, and, and it, it's becoming more organized. Uh, and it's not just people showing up and rah rahing for one person. It's, it's become this huge networking opportunity for like-minded people who are trying to make change or, or bring new products and, 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 you know, people that are trying to do stuff. Um, and, and for the most part, it's good people trying to do really important work. So I, I, I love the opportunity. It's great to get to meet people like that. It's, it's great to get to share our story at Attila's. Um, in the hopes that we can inspire people because at the end of the day, you know, we're just two dumb gym owners who said no. Um, and it's not this, it's not this, you know, this, this impossible task. It's something that really anybody could do. It's just a matter of, you know, believing in your ability to make, make it happen no matter what. Yeah. I think that's the biggest point right there that you make. Like, you know, you say two big, 
dumb gym owners trying to, that just said no. I mean, that's definitely where a lot of this started. But if you just look at like, there has been an evolutionary process to the amount of influence and it's for all the right reasons that you've made over the past, you know, at least year and a half, probably two years now, whether it's not just in your community in Belmar, opening up that gym every day and having people come in there and take care of their health, which is so important. Um, you know, in, in the midst of this whole pandemic, scamdemic, pandemic, whatever you want to call it, all the way up through you being a part of the Reawaken America tour and the other ones that you've done um, more recently too, that where your whole narrative and, and things that you speak on might not be, like you said, why you came to see a person who's there speaking. It might be a Bobby Kennedy. It might be a different, you know, Stella Emanuel. It might just be to hear Clay Clark MC, which is usually worth the price of admission. You have to admit that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, it really is. But the fact of the matter is. <laughs> it never gets old, too. And no. Never. <laughs> so, I mean, he's coming on our show again in like a week and a half, and, and he does our three-way calls with JT the same way he introduces people at the show. And he's like, let's make it happen. And at the end, he's like, it's all quiet. And he's like, boom. And then he just hangs up the phone. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, I guess. It's just energy. He, he brings a phenomenal amount of energy, um, which is what I think is, is probably one of his, his best qualities. Other than the fact that he's, he's a business kind of mastermind. Um, You know, he's just got that energy where it's hard not to, be infected by that, that yeah. sort of positivity that he carries with him. And I think that's, that's really important, especially as we wage this, this culture war going on two years, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, the things and the people that we're fighting against use demoralization, um, yeah. to, to get compliance and to, to get people to kind of give up. And, uh, when you surround yourself with that kind of energy, it's hard, uh, it's hard not to, to, to be ready to run through a wall. Right. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the attitude that we all have to have is everybody's got to be on a hundred um, and really, really getting into, you know, the, the fight or the, you know, the, the culture war, I like to call it, you know, because it's, it's going to require effort from everybody and meaningful effort. Um, and I think that finally you're starting to see a lot more of that where it's no longer, um, it's no longer something that the people that had their head in the sand and were hoping it would get better. Um, it like they're, they're, they're not even believing that story anymore. Right. Like, you know, it's, and that, that goes to people who were against it from the start and didn't say anything, but it also goes with people who were kind of on board and just kind of apolitical. Um, and, and it goes with people who were on the other side too, who, who got, you know, uh, signed up for the, you know, the, the double jab and then got, you know, finagled into a triple and a quadruple. And, and, you know, next thing you know, they're, they're kind of starting to ask questions too. So yeah. people are realizing that it's, it's going to be a community effort on a, on a national level that is going to start to turn the tables. Um, and you're seeing that with Biden's poll numbers. Yes. I mean, when 26% of, or what is it? 36 or you know, 26% of the country, um, which I even doubt that number approves of you and the rest are dissatisfied with you. What you're, what you're witnessing there is people of all walks of life, right. Um, on both sides of the political spectrum, uh, of every race of, of, of every background starting to say, what the fuck is going on? Yep. Um, and that's, that's also probably why you see the, uh, the on overdrive to, to divide and conquer. Yeah. Um, because because the, those numbers are just reflective of the temperature. 
No, there are there's a lot of that going on right now, all the way from like the top levels of government through the legacy media, even down to like influencers and in all our computer uh, you know, community and stuff like that, where we're seeing a lot of division and people taking sides. When at the end of the day, the good fight is the good fight. Um, Ian, before we break with you today, and we really do appreciate you taking out the time during business hours to come on and, and speak with us a little bit on all the stuff that's going on in your neck of the woods. I hopefully we'll be seeing you sure. again in Phoenix in January. Oh uh, yeah. So I, I we, yeah, man, I'll be there. Okay, uh, it looks like we might be as well. Why don't you tell everybody the website for the gym and then your social medias, and we'll let you get out of here. All righty, the gym is theattilisgym.com, and that is uh, Attilus is spelled A T I L I S. Theattilisgym.com. We actually have a podcast launching soon. Uh, Frank and I are are going to be uh, recording probably next week our first episode of uh the alpha variant podcast where we're going to be um we're going to be talking uh current events um but also breaking down a lot of the stuff that is really hard for a lot of people to understand admittedly even myself frank um frank is the smart one of the two of us and um frank reads the science and understands the science at a level that most people don't Mm -hmm. um but it's it's hard to digest um unless it's kind of long format. So we're going to be tackling some issues, um, looking at some, some real data and, and trying to educate people even further um, so that they can, they can help themselves and help others understand what's going on um, with, with not only government policy, but you know, uh, all of the stuff that we're seeing right now. And we'll have uh, some short episodes too. So we're looking forward to that. That'll be on the website. It'll be streaming on, on you know, whatever all everything's on. And um, my social media, my main one uh, on Instagram, Ian Smith Fitness, is currently banned. Um, yeah, they got me. Um, at 402,000 followers, oh. I, I opened my app and that was Eesh. it. Um, so we'll see about that one if that comes back. But the other one is Ian Smith Fitness Backup uh, and Ian Smith Fitness Backup 1. Uh, you have to type both of those all the way in down to the last letter because yes, you do. I, I'm already on the naughty list yep. uh, again. So, yeah, you can find me there. Same handle for Twitter, um, although I just really go on Twitter to talk shit and let the uh, the outrage mob just kind of, like, die in the comments section while I <laughs> screenshot it and go back to Instagram. There you go. Um, yeah, <laughs> we will listen. That podcast, as soon as you guys get it out, we'll be sharing it on all our socials. We're gonna live link all awesome. of your social medias on on ours as always, and we look forward to seeing you in January. Um, Ian Smith, yeah, man, co owner of the Attilus Gym. Thank you for joining us in this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. Have a good night. You too, sir. Another goodie in the books. Oh yeah. Definitely top tier guests. News, we did the best we could. Eh. Yeah. Can't polish a turd. Sure can't. And and or a turkey, which is what everybody was more focused on than going on the news and making some political talking points about yesterday. You can burn down your house with a turkey. True story. And I'm sure we'll we'll see a lot of those. And if we do see them, share them on our social medias. Um speaking of which, don't forget. Follow the Steak for Breakfast podcast on all major download podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcast, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show, rate it, leave a review, even if it's a bad one. Remember, somebody called me autistic one time and we made some memes about it. It was pretty funny. I'm still wondering if they're wrong. True story. Download the show, listen, like, follow, and of course, share Steak for Breakfast content. 
Show creds this week, obviously, our three amazing guests today, Jorge Ventura of The Daily Caller, um, living one of the most dangerous lives of any American right now out there doing it and doing it right. We're going to link the documentary, and we're going to have Jorge back again real soon when he's done with his next one. Jesse Straham, of course, her extremely motivational story uh, was nothing short of top-tier inspiring. And you want to talk about inspiring, Mr. Ian Smith, the Attilus Jim, that beard takes up the entire screen. It really does. And he's just amazing. We love having Ian on, and we will have him on anytime he agrees to come down on our show. Uh, friends, follow our, we call them sponsors, but they're more partners since we don't get anything for having them on our show except credit card bills. My pillow. Mike Lindell, out saving the country, filing with SCOTUS, is also offering up to 66% off on MyPillow products. Enter promo code STEAK at checkout to receive said discounts. One of the longest running steak for breakfast jokes has become a reality. Imagine that. You know, I, I've talked to a couple people on the team. In the new year, it might look like we got a 50-50 chance of scoring them for a few minutes. I'm going to stick in, stick with it and stick with it hard. Yeah. So uh, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. It takes a lot of hard work to put these shows together, and our persistence has paid off in regards to MyPillow. You can also find us at MyPillow.com forward slash steak. Uh, Odyssey, headphones, angelic sounds, gaming, podcasting, in-studio recording. It's done right there. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram, and they're at Odyssey.com. Man rubs. Had a little rubby rub on our turkey yesterday. Noah will be tasting it later because I brought him some leftovers. Nice. It was delicious. Manrubs.com. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. Don't mistreat your meat. Stay ready gear holsters. Melted Kydex. It's amazing. You put Noah's dog's picture on it. It's even more amazing. They have everything you need. Things to put your beers on. Things to dump your change in. Kydex conceal carry holsters. They make it. The quality is amazing. StayReadyGear.com. They have a Facebook and Instagram as well. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. His new website is easy to navigate. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. He's got guns. He's got ammo. He's got all the fixings to go along with your Christmas presents in the uh, firearms-related department. You can talk to him on Facebook Messenger and also via the telephone. 619-870-6992. Tactical Gear, our first responders love Mediocre Medic. They love the IG even more. They're at MediocreMedic.com. They're on Instagram. Flip-flops, fanny packs, sweatshirts, t-shirts, stickers, patches, and more there. And then finally, go out and get yourself a Zero Fucks Duck for the holidays. They're going to probably have a new Santa one dropping. They always do every year. I've got a couple of them on the patch panel I brought over for Noah. Talk to Mark Joe Friday, Dumpbox.us. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Friends, we got a lot of great guests coming up on our shows uh, moving forward. On Tuesday, we're going to have international recording artist and major political influencer, Zuby, in addition to Chris Paul, uh, one of the great podcasts out there. He's going to be joining us to do the news. I think his opinion and just the kind of way he spins it is going to do really good things for the chemistry on Steak for Breakfast. You're going to love Tuesday's episode. We're going to have Josh Barnett running an Arizona 6 and Mr. Clay Clark himself on the 3rd of December. That's next Friday. On the 7th, we're going to have Jessica Harlow and newly entered the race senatorial candidate, former podcast host, 
former Marine, uh, all-around fitness expert, Dr. Cordy Williams. He'll be joining us as well. Joe Kent's going to circle back with us on the 14th of December. Um, and coming up in just 14 episodes is number 100. We've already got Miss Geisha Montez and Miss Norbin Laden to be joining us for that, in addition to some very other special guests for that episode. So it's right around the corner. Don't forget to uh, look out to see who we'll be adding to the list. Maybe Nick will come back for that one. That'd be cool. Yeah, I got to do a little bit of a episode 100 with some origin story. See, uh, Nick could be the spider that bit us. No? Yeah. Okay. I like it. Um, Friends of the week. Obviously, James We The People Radio. Sublime and Slime. Working on some big things there. Miss Brenda Memes X. Snack Nicholson 2.0, Noah. Ooh. First one's gone. Oh. Nuked. Don't forget to follow Uncharted Territory. <laughs> <laughs> the Duke of Memes, Grand Old Memes, Defiant L's. We had some nice shares with them over the Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, and, of course, both the normal and the 2.0 account, Pubertos. They sent us some great videos this week. Guys, between now and Tuesday... Couple things we want you to do. Try to get them done. Do your own research. Whether you're just posting on social media or preparing for doing a podcast of your own, do your own research. Hold the line. Buy the dip. Snatch the wigs. Ice your balls. Let's see what happens. But most importantly, where we go one, we go all. This has been episode 85 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. We'll be back on Tuesday with Zuby and Chris Paul. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving and take care. My phone's ringing. Just a second. Oh, my God. Look at who's calling. Oh, hello? Hello, Mr. Hello, President? Hello, Al. How you doing, Hi. pal? Oh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy, oh, Dr. Biden and uh, Mr. President, thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving to you. How, New how York are you? firefighter. <laughs> That's right. We had a New York firefighter here. <laughs> and, and it's so good to, good for you calling. We thank you so much. What's, What's what's your message to the American folks on this Thanksgiving Day? My message is after two years, you're back. America's back. There's nothing we're unable to overcome, Al. And you're one of the reasons for that, pal. You're always up. You're always rooting. Well, we appreciate it, Mr. President. Thank you so much. I hope you're going to continue to watch the parade. Santa is coming. Santa is coming, Mr. President. (laughs) I'm waiting for Santa. (laughs) All right. Well, listen, happy Thanksgiving to both of you. From our family to yours, thank you, thank you, and happy Thanksgiving. Wish you were there with you, Al.